It's going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last. The real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish hunter. Something evil. Think you can hear off. Tell them Freddy sent you. Not recommended for impressionable children. Oh. Not tonight, no siree. Welcome to It Came From Cleveland episode, can you believe it, number 10, tonight. Yeah, That's not safe for the family tonight. <laughs> not safe for the family, no, 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 we're gonna, we're, we're changing things up a little bit on the program tonight. Michelle's gonna take over the first hour of the program tonight to talk about uh, a little career retrospective of uh, the horror the terrifying legend uh, of stage and screen, uh, Robert England, small screen and big screen. And um, yeah, so of course, Freddy Krueger. Uh, and uh, the uh, and we're going to have a lot of other celebrity birthday recommendations. Miles is going to uh, do a continuation from last week to a little expose on the character Count Dooku from the Star Wars uh, franchise. The Dooku Deep Dive. Dooku, yeah, we are in Deep Dooku now, buddy. Um, and, uh, and of course, we're going to have our Twilight Zone review for Mr. Beavis from 61 years ago today. Uh, Twilight Zone Season 1, Episode 33. Uh, Joe and I are going to have a lot of fun talking about some other celebrity birthdays. I've got some movie recommendations we can all talk about. And... Um, and, and Joe, it was so funny. I was watching. I was. Uh, go, we were listing movies last night on VHS uh, for our for our store, and it was so. F- and uh, by the way, I put up a movie for forty bucks, and it sold as soon as I've listed it. <laughs> and it was it was called Superstition from like nineteen eighty or eighty two or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, Michelle liked that, that one. Movie poster. I have the movie poster That's for a, it. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. This guy bought it within an hour of me posting it. Uh, you know, I did. I had it for 50 bucks or best offer, and he, he gave 39 so uh, we took it. And um, uh, it was a movie I bought for $2 at a bowling alley a few weeks ago. <laughs> but I was, looking at, I was looking up details about the director uh, of this film, and it turns out he uh, he directed a movie called The Giant of Thunder Giant of Thunder Mountain, and I'm looking at that movie, and I was like, why does this sound familiar? And I was like, oh my god, I just picked up a sealed copy of The Giant of Thunder Mountain, and I was like, oh, let me list that too, and maybe it'll the person who's if somebody's interested in that director, they'll want to buy both. But this is like a kids movie, and of course, it stars Richard Keel. So. All right. <laughs> cool. So, uh, so yeah, that was, that was kind of a funny thing. And, um, and then, uh, also, uh, the, (laughs) I want to share something. I, I had a very hard time focusing today, uh, doing, getting ready for the show because I had a neighbor who was, um, installing, well, the brother of one of the neighbors installing the most annoying car horn that I have ever heard in my life. It sounded like a, a, a clown car horn. But worse, 
And I wish I would have recorded what it sounded like because he kept doing it and doing it and doing it over and over and over again. And of course, I just tried to open the audio clip and the the whole my whole sound bite is crashing right now. So you're gonna have to give me a minute to uh, open that back up. But so uh, you know, so all day this horn, he's just out there on the front lawn, and it's like <laughs> you know, it's like this crazy loud super. I can't even. I thought it was a child with a toy, but when I realized it was a grown man, and he kept doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it all day long, I um, I decided to take matters into my own hands. And so uh, I, I forgot to turn off my front camera, and this was what I said. Give me a break, man. How much are you going to do that today? And then I said, it's so irritating, but it got cut off. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. Give me a break, man. How much are you going to do that today? Uh, I didn't swear at him. But, I mean, my Lord, it was he was doing it off and on for like four hours Four hours, even a regular car horn would drive you out of your head. But every time he would do it, I couldn't concentrate for like five minutes. And then he would start doing it again. And and so he just sat there in his truck, like staring down. Because I know the kid. He's like the, the younger brother of the neighbor, the cop across the street. So I didn't want to be too rude because his brother's a cop. Um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, so... Um, uh, yeah, I, I did that. I, I, I yelled. Give me a break, man. How much are you going to do that today? <laughs> it was just too funny to grab the audio from it. So anyway, um, and also miracles can happen. I just want to let you know, I just saw my next door neighbor who refuses to cut his grass pushing a lawnmower and a gas can down his driveway. And it sounds like he just started oh. it. And it sounds like he just started it and it stalled. So... Anyway, um, let's get into uh, the wide, wild world of Robert Englund, though. And, of course, welcome, everybody. And thanks, everybody, to uh, who's listening tonight. Also, oh, a couple uh, extra things tonight. Um, very special. Uh, we're changing the breaks around tonight on the show since Michelle's doing the first hour. And the first break will be her uh, horror trailer selections. And then I'll figure out how we're doing the other breaks. But um, uh, all new robots... Question from Mort from Kill the Hippies and also from Kill the Hippies. Vault archive songs. Three songs not heard anywhere else. We have the exclusive rights to play them here on the show tonight. I'm very excited about that. Songs hold Unrelated Species, Stab My Way, and Watch Me Bleed. Um, uh, so I'm very excited about that. And um, also a new mythical moment from Adam Hebert. Part one of a, uh, a serialized uh uh, addition so that's very exciting so all right michelle um where do you want to start with robert england uh you want you want to give a little bit of bio for him i'll do that first um he was born uh robert barton england um his uh, father was actually an aeronautics engineer which is really huh. cool so he was born on june 6 1947 um at his current height he is five foot ten inches and a quarter Oh, oh. And I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading this directly from a bio that was supposedly written by him. So, you know, mm -hmm. that quarter is, must be very important. Um, I he's think been in over. Yeah. It sounds um, like he's got a decent hum sense of humor, but go ahead. 
Yes. Um, he's been in he's appeared in over 75 feature films and starred it starred in four TV series. Um, he starred alongside of Henry Fonda, Susan Sarandon, Jeff and Jeff Bridges. Uh, he's also in, achieved international fame as the iconic boogeyman Freddy Krueger, which we all know. And um, he has guest starred in hundreds of hours of TV. Uh, most recently, Bones, Criminal Minds, and Hawaii Five-O. Sorry. So, yeah, he's had quite a career. He's been married twice. Uh, one of his trademarks, he off, often plays elderly or ancient characters. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got that distinctive, raspy, uh, high-pitched voice. Uh, he, he attended UCLA for three classes. <laughs> that's all he took in UCLA. So well, there you go. That, that was yeah, that's kind of funny. Uh, then he went to the Academy of Dramatic Arts in Rochester, Mich- Michigan. I think that's what it says it is. You know, and these kids today not attending school. What's with kids today, huh? No respect. There you go. <laughs> See that fit that fit perfectly there. <laughs> um. He uh, was a TV and radio host at one time, although he did not say what he hosted. Hmm. So that's pretty cool. And um, so, yeah, he has had a a really storied career. And his father was no sloucher either. His father helped design the U-2 spy plane. Really? Yes. That so. is impressive. So that, that, that was a, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, uh, he, he in one of his personal quotes is, "I've seen, I've got a lot of teenagers going yo Kruger and honking their horns and giving me the claw." Yeah, I'm recognized. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's um, he's he's a pretty well-rounded guy. He's been in so much over the years. So I decided to pick a few of the 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 fun stuff as um, you know, from my collection. Oh, you have another clip. Uh, no, that was actually an accident there. Uh, that was my phone. So okay. um, I was, uh, uh, my camera, the uh, the side camera went off because uh, the kid next door is finally cutting the grass. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, okay. So. Um, in 1976, he was in a movie. Um, it's not really well known. He didn't really star in it, but he had one of the, he had one of the story characters that get, uh, killed in it, which is pretty fun. It was called Eaten Alive, and I think we have the trailer for that. We sure do. If you were one of the millions of moviegoers who were electrified by the unbearable suspense and sheer terror of Jaws, get ready for Eaten Alive. Created by Toby Hooper, maker of the screen sensation, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Marty Rushton presents a new horror classic, Eaten Alive. Into this house of terror comes a handful of unsuspecting innocents. Hello? What happens to these people in Eaten Alive will give you the most chilling, terrifying 90 minutes you ever spent in a theater. Yeah. 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 
Artie Rustam presents Eden Alive, Mel Ferrer, Carolyn Jones, Stuart Whitman, oh. Neville Brand. Get ready for Eden Alive, a new horror classic. Carolyn Jones, no way. Nice. Yep, yep. And that was a Toby Hooper movie as well, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I thought the Carolyn Jones would, would catch your eye. It's basically about a psychotic redneck who owns a dilapidated house in rural <laughs> East Texas. He kills various people, various people who upset him or his business, and he feeds their bodies to a large crocodile that he keeps as a pet in the swamp behind his hotel. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the reason why I mentioned this movie, because um, it's one of his earlier works, and but in this movie. Um, Robert England has a line. Now, I will warn you all, this is not safe safe for children or safe for work. So <laughs> the next clip will tell you the line. And the reason why I mention this, I will tell you afterwards. Name's Buck. I'm raring to fuck. Nope. <laughs> beginning of the movie and when he says that line um it actually has a, a a reference later on um in film history in kill bill volume one actor michael Bre bowen's character buck repeats the exact line before forcing himself on a comatose bride oh okay okay i vaguely remember that yeah so that's what i so it's got a little iconic uh reference in in, in uh, quentin tarantino's movie well, so it's kind of Definitely, you know, Tarantino has a, a, a bent for the old grindhouse and, you know, midnight movies and stuff like that. So, um, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, big, you know, I mean, that guy, I mean, he, he was he was watching bad movies up until, you know, I mean, I've heard him talk about some pretty low, low budget movies made up into the 90s and early 2000s and stuff. Yeah, I, I like, a, you know, a lot of the Groundhouse movies are fun. Sometimes uh, it can trigger a little bit, you know, especially, mm -hmm. you know, if it, you know, as a woman, you can, you've had certain experiences and sometimes that can be a little rough, but I, I, for the most part, enjoy them. They, they are, they are senseless, uh, mayhem. <laughs> it's the best yeah, way I can they're, describe they're, it. Uh, you know, I, I do wince quite a bit, uh, you know, watching older stuff. I mean, you know, just even some of the stuff that, you know, I've been going through, I mean, or just, or just even old TV shows that I watch on me TV. I'm like, oof. You know, that's it's like wow, uh, women today. You know, <laughs> there's a, so lot, we're, of, we're a lot of that. Yeah, we're we will take a trip now from from uh, eating alive where Buck wanted to enjoy himself. <laughs> yeah, Buck to wanted to have some his, luck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of his TV appearances, which was in the uh, in 1977. Robert England was in a Nancy Drew episode. You know, the Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. You know, those were series that, that ran. And um, I, I enjoyed them. I read the Hardy Boy books and mm -hmm. Nancy Drew books a lot when I was a child. And I would reread them. And I had most of them until we ended up with a leak. And uh, most got, half yeah, of them yeah, got destroyed. That yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, my sister and I used to watch this show religiously when it was on. So, uh, you know, uh, what was it? Pamela Sue Anderson? Is that who played Nancy Drew? Pamela Sue Martin. Pamela Sue Martin. And then, oh, Pamela Anderson. That's somebody else completely. <laughs> and Sean Cassidy and Parker Stevenson. Parker Stevenson. The Hardy Boys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 
Um, I had the Susan, biggest crush on Parker Stevenson. Uh, Susan had the biggest crush on Sean Cassidy. So <laughs> hey, here we go. <laughs> so uh, you guys could have gone to, on a double date. Um, so, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I have very fond memories of this, but I had no idea, you know, I, I, we were going through all the birthdays and everything. And, and one of the first pictures on IMDB was there he is a very young Robert England with uh, a guy named Craig Littler, who's been in a whole bunch of different stuff. He used to be in a kid's show that I used to watch called Jason of star command. And, um, and there he is standing, and, and I said to to you, I was like, "Look at that! They they look like uh, Bill and Ted, you know." <laughs> so, yeah, what's kind of funny about this this TV show? It's the first for you know, uh, it's the first. It's got an interesting uh, aspect to it. But let's can you play the intro to it real quick yeah, for me? Yeah, you got it. thought that was Robert Conrad but uh or William Conrad but it wasn't yeah he's got a good voice wherever it was I didn't mm. look that up but um, that, the, that music was kind of iconic for us kids back then so. uh, I forgot how great that was that was a nice melding of like electronic music and in symphonic music uh for back in the day I think that might have been like a Roland or a Moog synthesizer or something in there Yep. Um, yeah. So this movie, uh, I mean, this this show starred Pamela Sue Martin as Nancy Drew, of course. And what's interesting about this episode, it has two horror icons in it, and one of them, it's her first, um, it's her first named television role as Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh no way! No, and Robert England, and they're play the both uh, Jamie Lee and Robert England are both playing carny motorcycle people. Um, it's basically a view on um, an undocumented maid and her brother who are caught up in a jewel robbery. And um, it, while during a, uh, a charity carnival event. All right. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, it's one of those things that people, you know, like I was talking with Living earlier today, it's where people are saying, you know, well, you know, every all the TV shows have to become so woke now and so, you know, politically charged and political issues. They were doing it back in 1977, too, because mm -hmm. Nancy, Nancy Drew comes to the aid of these people. And um, so uh, the first line, first time you actually hear Robert England speak is cut number two. Well, that's a nice looking bike. Think so, huh? Yeah. I got one just like it back home. Where's that? Wherever. Does it handle good? Why don't you try it out? I'm seeing how you got one just like it at home. Sure. Oh. Oh, a challenge challenge accepted. 
Yeah, and she gets on and rides the heck out of that bike. Was that Jamie Lee Curtis? No, that was that was Pamela Sue Martin. That oh, was okay. uh, Nancy Drew. Yep. All right. All right. Very cool. And what's was, was what's sure. funny is Jamie Lee and Robert England play the play a couple. Oh. So, and she wow. and and Jamie's wearing this really curly blonde wig. Mm-hmm. It looks really strange on her, but <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, he, and he had and, really curly blonde hair at the time too. Yes, he did. And what's also uh, funny about this is Jamie Lee Curtis originally auditioned for the role of Nancy Drew. Wow, wow. But yeah, so I mean, that's so the fun. So so funny. She she dated Freddy Krueger and killed Michael Myers. Yes, so. <laughs> yes, and and, and uh, later on you can hear a little bit of that menace start to creep in rubbing his voice in cut three. All right. Look, I don't know who you are, but... Well, go ahead. Don't let me interrupt. Why would anybody be investigating Vince? Suspicions, accusations. Happens all the time to carny people, but uh, we know who was in the van. Let's go. Where do you want to go? To see how we deal with spies. Wow. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty intense. Yeah, and it, it, basically, it turns out that the rich couple actually stole their own jewelry, and were trying to frame. You know, they were trying to frame the carnival for it, or people who were at the carnival. And then the the brother was just a, a, a uh, convenient scapegoat, but they felt bad because they didn't want him to really fall for it. And eventually, it's turned out that they were you know out out of money, so they were trying to get the insurance money on the jewelry. So wow, you know what's interesting is we finally know Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, Mary F Kill uh, list, and uh, that Mary is Nigel Tufnell. Uh, <laughs> the second one is uh, Freddy Krueger, and the third one is Michael Myers. Oh my! So, because <laughs> she's married to Christopher Guest in real life, uh, who played okay, well, Nigel Tufnell on Spinal Tap. Yeah, yeah, that works. And so. you know that that you know. So Nancy Drew was one in a long career of TV appearances that uh, Robert England was in. Um, he was in Police Woman in 1978. <laughs> he was in Soap. He was in two episodes of Soap. Really? In the third season. Yes, he played a character wow. called Simon. He was in episode 3.2 and 3.3. Wow, that is that I loved soap. Joe, did you watch that that show? I did so long ago. <laughs> I even forgot most of the episodes, but yes, I did. I, I've I did watch that show. Uh well, one of the movies I'm recommending tonight has uh Catherine Helmond uh, from Soap uh, as well. So you guys probably already okay. know what it is, but uh, but yeah, I I just I mean you know Billy Crystal got his start on that show uh, for the most part as a ventriloquist, right? Yes, he, yes, yeah. No, 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 oh, no. He was not the ventriloquist. He no. was the gay brother. Oh, okay, okay. I it again, like Joe said, it's been so long ago. Um, yeah, the I, the, the, the ventriloquist was a blonde guy. I, I forget his name, but I can see his face and and everything. So yeah. I. I I, I think his didn't it was his a dummy name Lester? No. Oh no, what no. It wasn't a guy's name. No, it was something else. It was uh, no, that was uh, the other guy. Um Yeah, there was an but African American guy, kind of like a bowl uh, cut haircut. So Yeah. Yeah, there was an African American uh, ventriloquist who had a Yeah, that was Willie Tyler Lester, Lesser, let's Willie Tyler and Lester. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, 
Um, I love ventriloquists. (laughs) I do too. I do too. Uh, You know, a a lot of people are creeped out by ventriloquist dummies, but uh, not me. I'm I'm a fan. I I almost wanted to become a ventriloquist. (laughs) Yeah, and I I have a I have a famous cousin that was a ventriloquist who just recently passed away. So yeah. Oh okay. Um, but other other episode other movie uh, other TV shows he was in he was in Charlie's Angels he was in Flow he was in Chips Walking Tall Heart to Heart Simon and Simon. Wow. And then in 1983, a little-known um, uh, uh, miniseries and then a TV series came out. Um, wow. I think we should hold me? that. I think we should <laughs> hold that until after the break. So, But, yeah, V coming up. This is exciting because I, I have not uh, seen this show in a long time, and it is very exciting to think about. But... Um, because I, I absolutely loved it. I love that in Alien Nation, you know, they were kind of the, you know, the, you know, two sides of the same coin almost, you know. Um, but, uh, in, in, in the similarities there, Alien Nation was a movie first and then it was a TV series. Um, but it didn't carry the same cast. Um, James Kahn and Mandy Patinkin were in the <laughs> in the Alien Nation movie. I'm sorry to go to go off on a tangent, no, it, but good. I'm just thinking. No, I'm just thinking. Wow, what a what a oddball casting. I mean, they're both great actors, but you know, that, that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna talk V when we come back. But uh, before then, Michelle, we're doing tr- your trailer break early tonight. So why don't cool. you tell everybody we've got four Robert England trailers. You want to? Uh, Run down the oh, list. Oh yeah, I um I, I tried to to put them in in order. Um, let me get my my list real quick, quick so I don't forget where it is. Oh, that's all right. Everything. Well, we're, um, start, we're starting with so Nightmare have, on Elm Street. We have Nightmare on Elm Street. We have uh, Phantom of the Opera. We have one called uh, Night uh, Terrors, yep. and that one's cool because he plays a descendant of the Marquis de Sade. And <laughs> the last one is a little-known Stephen King short story that was made into a movie, and I'll talk more about that later. It's called The Mangler. All right. We'll be right back after some horror trailers. I am eternal. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Help me, 
of the hills have eyes and last house on the left a new masterpiece in fantasy terror nightmare on elm street some stories have so great a power that with each new generation they are reborn Major motion picture. You love the music. I am the music. A lot of people are dead, Mr. Dutton, and the murderer is in your house. Someone is doing murder in Christine Day's name. Our souls are one. <gasps> Robert England is. You're him, aren't you? The Phantom of the Opera. The Phantom of the Opera. Only love and music are forever. There are thorns everywhere. But along the path of vice, roses bloom above. Smell the roses, Eugenie. Do you know the difference between dreams and reality? Chainsaw Massacre. Toby Hooper's Night Terrors, starring Robert England as the Marquis de Sade. Please don't hurt me. Please. There's a little bit of me in that machine, and a little bit of it in me. There was an accident today. The worst one I've ever seen. Have you considered the possibility that the machine might be haunted? That machine killed your daughter. We all have to make sacrifices. Human sacrifices. A demon is a kind of electricity. Sometimes it gets out of control. People get hurt. Three modern masters of horror have just created the ultimate machine for terror. 
Wrangler. What's with kids today, huh? No respect. Yeah, doing his little Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> well, very cool. Michelle, I have not seen The Mangler or Night Terrors, and it's been too long since I've seen Phantom of the Opera. So, uh, I'm, uh, I think I'm, I'm gonna be watching some movies. Night Terrors is fun. The Mangler is, it, it is specifically amazingly bad, but hey. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it, it, it's kind of a goofball Stephen King story, but, you know, it is what yes, it is. Yes, yes. And, uh, of course, welcome back, uh, uh, Miles. Now, we haven't uh, gotten your take on Robert Englund. Are, are you, uh, uh, well, I'm assuming you probably watched V when you were a kid, but were, are you a fan of the, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies or anything like that? No. Um, <laughs> the slasher movies were never really my thing. Mm -hmm. uh, violence for the sake of violence just didn't do anything for me. Gotcha. And um, uh, But uh, did you watch V when it was on? I did, and yeah. I do remember the character vaguely as a mm. good guy. Um, yeah, kind of like a, a useful idiot. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, you know, I'm I'm uh, having a hard time recalling. I forgot he was in it, to be honest. And uh, and Joe, um, I know you're not that big of a fan of modern horror, but uh, but uh, do you remember the V TV series? Not the TV series. I saw the film. Yeah. Um, but no, not the TV series. Did it start as a was and, it a mini series first or a movie first, Michelle? No, uh, I thought it, it started in nineteen eighty three. Um, V the mini series, and then okay. the final battle, which was a two part movie. Oh, okay. But go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, the only V I remember is uh, the one with um, what's her name? Star. Wars. Um, Princess Amma, Amma, what's her name? Oh, you're talking about V for Vendetta. Uh, that's, v for Vendetta. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the Natalie, only Natalie, Natalie Portman. Uh, this was Valerie about Portman. alien yeah. visitors coming to our planet with a dark secret, which was so cool at the time. The, the visual effects were so cool. So, um, Was kinda... that the one where if you saw them in a certain way, they they look like skeletons or they... No, that was They Live. That was the movie They Live with uh, Rowdy Roddy oh, Piper. Okay. That was a that was a, a John Carpenter film, and um, okay, but it kind of had the same kind of vibe to it. Uh, I don't want to mm -hmm. spoil it, but it, I think if you if you liked uh, to serve man, you might like this uh, series. It's kind of a uh, extended version of that. But Michelle, um, go ahead. Why don't we Why don't we talk uh, talk about V a little bit? Yeah, let, let's play the trailer for V first. Tonight is your chance to see how it all began, to relive the excitement that is V, the most extraordinary miniseries ever. A daring TV journalist struggling to uncover the startling truth behind the alien's visit to Earth. And a beautiful and brave young scientist fighting for the very survival of the human race. Together, they take you on a fantastic journey to meet the visitors. Prepare yourself for a television event that's out of this world. Prepare for... Be next. Gosh, that sure sounded like um, Eddie Anderson. I'm not sure if that was him or not. Uh, or Ernie Anderson, I mean, uh, who played uh, Goulardi. 
uh, or the uh, yeah, Goularty. But um, yeah, so uh, uh, again, it was a, a, a limited se- or mini series on TV, and then a two part movie, and then a TV series. So it, it was pretty sprawling in a pretty short period of time. It, it gained a lot of traction. But go ahead, Michelle. Well, they also had a failed remake too. They tried to remake the TV series, and it did not really do very well. So I did not know that. Um, was it like a yeah. sci-fi channel? Um, that I don't remember. It may have been sci-fi. Um, it was it was entertaining, but it just you know you you knew what the you know if you've seen the original series, it was just kind of like meh. You know? Yeah. But um, yeah. So you know these these aliens show up and start you know spreading across the earth and start saying that they're here to help mankind and you know to 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 you know, to share their secrets with them and that sort of thing. And, and what, you know, these, these transports come down and they start, you know, stopping off in the big cities and people are, you know, the, the visitors go to different, uh, you know, places and offer their assistance and stuff. And one of them is a Robert England. And um, it's very interesting how he, you know, uh, interacts with the people when he's trying to find the place he wants to go. Hi there. Are you okay? I am just. Yeah? What? Just. 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 Yes, just. Just what? Help. Oh no, wait, don't let it get your spazzed. I'll help you out. Yes, help. Help to go to this place. I'm just. You don't know where to go. I'm just... You're lost. Lost. Yes, lost. English, not well to me. Learned Arabic for going there. Oh, and they screwed up and sent you to L.A.? Yes, (laughs) screwed. Well, L.A.'s not so bad. It beats Fresno, let me tell you. There you go. I had to leave the I had to leave the beat Fresno in there, kind of like you know, for, as an homage to Travis on the Stephanie Miller show. So. Oh, there you go, there you go. So, so now, I think they're always talking about Fresno there. So, well, now the the cast on this, I'm looking back at the cast. Um, I mean, the you know Mark Singer from Beastmaster was in this series. I Michael, think Michael Ironsides was in it. Yeah, thirteen episodes. Um, it also had um, uh. Well, Robert Englund was in 19 episodes, again, as Willie. Uh, I forgot the name Willie. Yeah, I was like... And uh, some other... Um, uh, Mickey Jones. Uh, if you don't know Mickey Jones, you know his face because he was like a huge character actor for the longest time. Um, I, I do have a memory of V with Michael Ironside. There was a scene where they actually successfully killed some of the aliens... And they are lizard creatures for those. Spoiler alert. And uh, Michael Ironside was looking uh, with his uh, cohort at these dead aliens. And his comment was, what a waste of good luggage. (laughs) That's funny. Um, And, uh, oh, Bruce Davison was in it. Uh, He's he's a well-known character actor. Um, but yeah, just, uh, tons of great actors were in this. Um, and, uh, and June, uh, June Chadwick, what, what, what else was she in? Um, but, uh, the name I, sounds familiar. Yeah. She was in, uh, oh, she was in Spinal Tap. 
and uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash with Whoopi Goldberg. But uh, I think I heard Susan chuckle from the other room once she caught Eric Singer from Beastmaster because she, uh, she used to have a crush on him, and he had ferrets. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, Mark Singer was one of my favorites. Yeah, he, he was a really good uh, kind of action actor. And, you know, it's so funny, you know, you forget how buff he was until you see one of the Beastmaster movies, you know? Cause, oh, yeah. You, you yeah, cloth I mean, didn't leave much to the imagination. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you know, it, it, you know, you see him in clothes and it's just like he's just kind of a regular Joe. But, you know, you see him in Beastmaster and you're like, damn, dude. You're doing something right. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it was a really, really, uh, I thought a really effective series at the time. That was one that I used to race home to to make sure I was in front of the TV to watch when it was on or, you know, come in from playing or whatever. Um, and uh, I just remember, yeah, Susan laughed out loud at Mark Singer. So, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, the, uh, um the the reveal of the aliens, the special effects on that was so cool. Uh, yes, the, never the, never leave your guinea pigs unattended. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Because they they uh, they uh, they unhinge their jaws. Uh, so <laughs> you know. why don't you just unhinge your jaw and finish me off after my Magnum PI? Yeah. So thank you, Claude. <laughs> yes, nice. Um. And, uh, yeah, but the, the skin tearing and the alien flesh beneath and everything, that was so iconic and so cool. And, uh, there was even, uh, I have it hanging on the wall in here or no, it's in storage. Um, there's a, there's a, a um, oh God, tooth and nail, the album by Dawkins actually kind of ripped off that idea and, and for that album cover. And then there was another one. Um, there's a band called Exciter that ripped off the the visuals from that for one of their albums. I don't I don't remember what it was, um, what the title of the album was. But yeah, so like heavy metal bands were stealing, you know, the, the visuals from V, uh, V for visuals. Um, but yeah, V for visitors, not V for victory in this case. Um, and but no, it was. It was I remember the, the the UFO effects, the, the you know the spaceship effects being you know really you know pretty top notch in the day, and you know just everything was very convincing. I love those red outfits that they wore, uh, you know, and uh, and this was one of the first series too where I, I'll try not to spoil it too much, but there were. Um, it was it was kind of like uh, well what they're setting up right now with the the Marvel Cinematic Universe the secret invasion thing is there are aliens among us and we don't know who they are so kind of you know invasion of the body snatchers kind of thing except they were much better at pretending to be who they were pretending to be you know um, so right and, and go that ahead. and the whole underlying fascist theme about a fascist takeover of oh, our yeah. world by a, a superior race you know yeah the the original title was lizard nazis from space uh no i'm just kidding <laughs> uh but that's kind of what it was uh they, yeah, the, they do everything they have the youth indoctrination programs mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff and even you know, their like, their their the symbol for their government or whatever their their movement was uh, reminiscent of a swastika, you know, a, a, a white circle with, you know, black symbol on it. And one of the other character actors that's in it, I forget his name, but he plays an old Jewish man who remembers uh, 
uh, than the Nazis' atrocities. Mm-hmm. And he tries to warn people, and nobody really listens to him. Yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. I just saw his name. Um, I think you're talking about... Um, oh, gosh. Uh, Howard K. Smith, I believe. That might be um, him. I'm not very good with names, yeah, but I can well, remember his face. So, Well, he died in 2002 at the age of 87, so that was probably him because he was in a lot of episodes. He was in 10 episodes. Um, oh, Judson Scott was in the series, too. Judson Scott, you'd know as Khan's son in um, uh, The Wrath of Khan. And uh, he also, Judson Scott was in the failed uh, TV series with Richard Lynch called The Phoenix. Do you remember that from the late 70s, early 80s? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and oh, what was interesting is I saw an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation the other day where Judson Scott played... Um, uh, opposite the guy who played Captain Kirk's son in The Wrath of Khan, and they were playing like the, the you know these these aliens who are fighting over this mineral or resource or something like that, and uh, and I was like, oh my god, that's so funny. So Khan's son, well, or you know, I think he treated him as his son. Um, I don't know if he necessarily was, but, uh, so Khan's son and Kirk's son in the next generation together acting, uh, against one another, which, which was too cool. And I'm sorry, I don't remember the actor's name who played, uh, David, David, that was, uh, Captain Kirk's son, right? I think so. Um, curly headed blonde guy. <laughs> That's all yeah. I remember him as. <laughs> uh, David Marcus. In the jumpsuit. <laughs> yeah, the actor. Yeah, David Marcus, uh, Merrick Buttrick uh, is the actor who played him. So, and I think he, yeah, he passed away in 1989. So that's insane. He was only 30. My lord. So, um, but no, a 29. He wasn't even 30. That's horrible. So, uh, but yeah, so no, but you know, this, this is a great role for, you know, again, I'm assuming this, this role probably really got, um, uh, Robert England some notoriety for him to, you know, get into the, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Yeah. What's really nice about it is too, is it played a different character off of type, you know, he wasn't a thug, he wasn't something like that. He was actually playing like, kind of like a bumbling, you know, uh, comic relief but he still had a really big heart and he was very mm-hmm. protective yeah. but yeah from that was in 1983 and right after that in 1984 nightmare on elm street came out and um nightmare on elm street uh was actually um <laughs> the, the, the new line cinema was not really doing well at this point and when nightmare on elm street came out um it was saved from bankruptcy and they jokingly call uh, New Line Cinema after that point the house that Freddie built. Wow, that's pretty impressive. So yeah, yeah, it was it was funny because uh, uh, Robert England uh, almost did not get that role. Do really? you know who was up for that role? Hmm, let me think about that. Was it a, a contemporary of his? Yeah, it was one of the actors that was pretty, that was, that was, you know, fairly known for. Did they go on to do other horror stuff? Yes. Oof. Um, 
He's a favorite oh. of ours. <laughs> oh, he's a favorite of ours, huh? Okay. Oh my gosh, I'm racking my brain trying to figure out who it could be. Uh, I I can't I can't think of it. Uh, who who was it? Okay, he even went through makeup tests, but he had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts. It was David Warner. Oh no way! Yeah, so David Warner, who was uh, in, uh, he was in a ton of stuff. He was, uh, um, Time Bandits, Time Bandits, and, and oh, yeah. he was he was in a lot of Star Trek stuff too. Um, the Waxworks. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, he was. Oh my God, he was in so much great stuff. Didn't did he just recently pass away? I don't know. I can look it up real quick. Oh, no, um, that's it, fine. You can keep talking and I'll, I'll look it up. Um, all right. Um, there's some, uh, uh, one of the things is the very first time you see Freddie in the movie, he wasn't being played by Robert England, but the, by the special effects man, Charles Bella, Bellardinelli. He was the only one that knew exactly how to cut the gloves and insert the blades. He is still alive. And, I'm sorry. He was in the omen by the way. And okay. time, time after time. Oh, he was sorry. He was, um, uh, uh, Sark in Tron. Yes. So yeah, oh, cr Cross of Iron. He's been in so much stuff. But yeah, and um, go ahead. Yeah. Um. The uh, he was actually um, <laughs> he was uh still doing work on V during this movie as well. Robert England was. Um. And then um, Lynn Shay. Isn't she one of the names? Was it Lynchay? Is that a female or man? I don't know. Mm. Um, him, well, Robert England and Lynchay both appeared in Ni a new nightmare in 1994, Wish You Were Dead in 2001, and, and 2001 Maniacs in 2005. Um, and the first time Robert England uh, tried on the infamous Freddy glove, he actually cut himself. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's um, not good. Yeah, and uh, the word Elm Street's never actually spoken at all during the movie. Really? Nope. Wow. And uh, he also stated that his favorite kill in Elm Street franchise was Carlos's death in the sixth film. Carlos dies by having Freddy replace his hearing aid and causes his head to explode. Oof. <laughs> uh, interesting. Oh, yeah, David Warner, uh, if I didn't say it already, he is still alive. Um, and he also was in uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which was a great, uh, underrated John Carpenter film. Yes, I like that one. And Sam Neill was in that with him, I believe. Yes. Yeah, so great movie. I own that on VHS. <laughs> Former rental. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, you know, a great film. Oh, that had... Uh, uh, Jurgen uh, Proshnow, I forget how to say his name, but he was uh, um, Leto Atreides in uh, David Lynch's Dune. So, uh, and he was also in The Keep. Another sorry. cool movie. I keep going down the rabbit hole. The Keep, man, yeah, that that's is quite a The Keep is like a holy grail movie for me. That one is so good. I love that. It is such a. I think Miles would get a kick out of that if he hasn't seen. It. I think Joe would too. Isn't it about uh, basically Nazis who stumble into some ancient terror? Yes, yes. Yeah, so... And who doesn't love it when Nazis get some kind of comeuppance from, you know, supernatural stuff or whatever? Yeah, I have a quick few other little things about some of the other movies that the trailers were run on. Um, and then to wrap it up, I have some more 
other information about uh, Robert England. All right. Um, when he pl- as we played the trailer for Fan of Opera, um, as of 2007, the number of film adaptations of Gaston Leroux's novel amounts to 40, including short films, cartoons, and television films. Wow. So, you know, he got to join that august uh, selection of different things that, you know, talked about the Phantom of the Opera or anything having to do with those, the novels that it was adapted from. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1993, Night Terrors, um, about a young girl who travels to Cairo to visit her father and becomes unwillingly involved in a bizarre sadomastic cult led by the charismatic Paul Chevalier, who is a descendant of Marquis de Sade played by Robert England. Um, Robert England and the other, another actor named w- William Finley both previously played Phantom of the Opera. Finley really? in the 1974 rock version of the Phantom of the Paradise and England oh. in the 1989 version of Phantom of the Opera. Oh, very cool. Very cool. I just saw, oh God, I was watching something. I saw somebody from Phantom of the Paradise in that, a TV show, I think. It, it was a, a thug on like Adam 12 or something like that. Um, but anyway, go ahead. And um, in in The Mangler, which is um, about an accident involving a folding machine and an old laundry occurs, um, the detective decides to investigate what he finds as the owner of the laundry, Bill Gartley. Mean. Um, Meanwhile, the folding machine has acquired a taste for the flesh of human beings. But is there more to Bill Gartley than meets the eye? And does he know what the monster what monster lies behind the machine? What? Something yeah, it's it's really creepy. It's about this, you know, large industrial machine that just basically eats people or eats their body parts and crushes. Mm-hmm. It is it is it is a weird short story. It's not one of the best better movies, but what's funny is Hadley Watson is the manufacturer of the mangler. It's displayed right on the front. Each of those words has six letters in them. There's a big six right underneath those words. That's three sixes. Six, six, ah. six, sign of the beast. And another thing, part of the company's name that made the folding machine, Hadley Watson, may be a reference to this, the sadistic captain of the guards in the Shawshank Redemption. Byron okay. Hadley. The Shawshank Redemption is also a film adaptation of one of Stephen King's short stories. See? Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah, I love those little Easter eggs, you know, from because uh, a lot of a lot of different um, uh, people who make Stephen King movies will will, you know, kind of give a little nod to things like that. So that's very cool. Yeah, it was a lousy movie, but um, Stephen King actually uh, worked at an industrial laundromat when he was a kid. See, so he probably or had a nightmares. Y- young about adu- uh, a younger <laughs> adult, yes. <laughs> yeah, he probably had nightmares about that. No, no child, no child labor, no literal sweatshops for kids. Yeah, Stephen no, King. no. This was probably you know yeah. just it had to support his family, so it may have been when he was you know like a teenager or something. Sure, sure. Well, the demonic laundry machine that uh, inspired the story probably didn't get any royalties at all. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> probably not. All oh, these kids today. Um, What's with kids today, huh? No respect. Right. <laughs> yeah, it it's a pretty crappy movie, but it actually did spawn two sequels, but both of those sequels went directly to video. So, um, but uh, then you got, you know, Robert England. He's, he appeared in even more stuff, you know, in Charmed and Supernatural. He oh. was in Supernatural episode, Appointment in Samara. That. Yes. Um, he play, he's in the fourth season of uh, Stranger Things. He plays Victor Creel. 
Um, and there's so many other movies that I, I I couldn't fit in all this. Incubus, Wishmaster. Oh, you yeah. Know. And he has two that are currently in post-production as well. Harvest Moon and Abruptio. There was a movie so. he did just a couple years ago that I was thinking about watching, but I never got around to it. It was... Um, Oh gosh, it was about some kind of uh, dungeon or something, um, like in Europe or something. I don't know, like I, I can't remember. I just vaguely remember the trailer for it. Um, and just a quick reference before you run out of time, and we, then sure. we can we can continue talking about. Him. I want to mention his voiceover work. Oh yeah, um, in, in Injustice too, he did the Scarecrow. In Masters of Orion, Conqueror. Conqueror, Conqueror of the Stars. He plays a Terran Emperor. Um, that's a video game. Uh, Marvel Superhero Squad Online, another video game. He plays Dor Dorm Dormammu. Dormammu. Yeah. Dor Dormammu. Yes, I can never pronounce that name. And um, in the in the spectacular Spider-Man, he voiced the Vulture. He looks like the Vulture. <laughs> he looks like the Scarecrow. Those are perfect roles for him. Yeah, so yeah, so he's a wonderful career and he's still going yeah. strong. Absolutely. Absolutely. No signs of slowing down for Robert England. So, all right, any any uh, uh, uh final thoughts, Michelle, before we go to the break? No, I was leaving the final thoughts for you. I just wanted to get to the meat uh to the majority of the stuff. I had six Actually, I ended up with six to seven pages worth of stuff. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And uh, no, it, if we have time, you know, we can uh, get to more. We'll see. Um, but I've got a lot of stuff uh, I want to go over. Uh, Joe and I are going to talk about some other celebrity birthdays. And I got some movie recommendations, some trailers, some scenes for you. Won't try and inundate you, but uh, it should be fun. We'll be right back with... Uh, Lots more. It came from Cleveland, episode 10 for June 4th, 2021. Happy day after your birthday, Suze. Golf clap. Golf clap. And now, on with the show. Give me a break, man. How much are you going to do that today? It's going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish unto you. Something evil. Every town has an Elm Street. <laughs> Not recommended for impressionable children. I think just about every town does have an Elm Street. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, I forget which one that was from. That's when he moved on from uh, the original town with the. Uh, the first few movies we're in. Anyway, welcome back uh, to It Came From Cleveland, episode 10. Joe, can you believe we've made it so far? This is exciting, huh? Yes, I'm, and I'm still here. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. Holy <laughs> God. Uh, and, uh, and of course, Miles, uh, look at that. We uh, we should have a, another golf clap for... Uh, golf clap? Golf clap. Golf clap. 
There we go. A little men at work golf clap for us. But yeah, I mean, we, we, we've covered so much amazing stuff, Miles, in, in such a short time. And, yep, things will continue. Yeah, it's it's very satisfying, Michelle, knowing that we're we're doing something a little different, and uh, you know, uh, a little different from what everybody's doing, you know. And we have a because we have, we have a house band. Uh, we've got original content with the you know everything we do and Adam and Kill the Hippies contributions and everything. It's just it's just a really exciting, and I'm really glad everybody is here uh, hanging out with us uh, uh, every Friday, and it means it means so much. I'm gonna cry. Um, no, I'm sorry, I'm not much of an actor, and I'm not going to cry. But I was irritated earlier. Give me a break, man! How much are you going to do that today? <laughs> <laughs> that is great. <laughs> so, I just, I was so mad I didn't turn off the camera, and I was like, oh, that I sounded, I, I was like, you know, I didn't swear at him, you know. Uh, I just wish it's, I wish I, wish I would have gotten it so irritating. <laughs> um... But anyway, yeah, so Joe, we have a lot of celebrity birthdays to talk about um, today, and I, I have a, a fun selection of stuff, mm -hmm. um, and I know uh, one of the people you, you uh, that want, well, actually, if you don't mind, first, I think we should talk about somebody um, uh, who, who was kind of, uh, again, somebody who, who is remembered for one thing mostly. And that's Andy Griffith, known from the Andy Griffith Show, uh, is Andy Taylor, and of course, you know uh, Matlock. And I've been enjoying Matlock. I've been enjoying going back and watching Matlock and um, uh, In the Heat of the Night with Carol O'Connor. That you know, uh, th those are actually pretty decent shows for the day. But Andy Griffith, uh, um, uh, Joe, I'm not familiar. If, uh, you know how he got his start. Um, but it was a movie in 1957. Have you, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. Well, uh, this is the trailer for it. It's called A Face in the Crowd from 1957. And if you think Andy Griffith started off as, you know, just all wit and whimsy and nice and talking to Ope and Barney, um, mm -hmm. it wasn't quite that way. He did play a bit of a redneck in this movie. But um, he essentially predicted a lot of ugliness that um, has gotten, uh, th that has kind of twisted the world of politics and the cult of personality and, and whatnot. And I've got some point, kind of poignant clips here. But this is the trailer from A Face in the Crowd from 1957. And I highly recommend everybody watch this movie. It also had a great performance from Walter Matthau in it. Um, everybody knows and loves him, grumpy old men, uh, <laughs> but he was in, uh, the odd couple, of course. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, Walter Matthau had a nice, uh, straight role in this, but Andy Griffith played a psycho in a face in the crowd. Here's a trailer. <laughs> oh, lonesome roads. Look out for him. He's mean. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Andy Griffith, another sensational newcomer from Ilya Kazan, who brought you Marlon Brando and James Dean and Carol Baker. <laughs> Gone be. 
by millions, an idol of the people. Bye! Bye, Lucy! So long, Luther, you're right to me now. I'll be thinking of you good people. Boy, I'm glad to shake that dumb. Look, don't, don't try to play the noble defender of the sanctity of marriage with me, Papa Man. I know where you've been some of those nights when Betty was waiting up for you. You know, you hit me and it'll be all over the papers as much as the people love you tonight. You're can fired. Hit you. I'm not just an entertainer. I'm an influence, a wielder of opinion, oh. a force. A force. Oh, if they ever heard the way that psycho really talks. They're mine. I own them. They think like I do. But they're even more stupid than I am. <laughs> so I gotta think for them. One of the greatest characterizations ever put on the screen in the whole history of motion pictures. Maybe I'm just a country boy. <laughs> but if the president tries to stop me, I'll flood the White House with millions of telegrams. <laughs> There we go. Andy Griffith, born June 1st, 1926, uh, passed away, sadly, in 2012, at the age of 86. Um, he, uh, it, it, uh, I know, we're not going to say the name of the person that this kind of reminds me of, <laughs> but I think everybody, because we don't do that kind of show anymore. But the next couple clips, um, well, I know there, there was, uh, a lot of people started talking about this movie, uh, about... 15 years ago, maybe a little less than that, when um, when a certain insane guy who used to cry on Fox News who got booted for being too crazy for Fox News, um, you know, they started making comparisons to him and Glenn Beck, essentially. Um, and, you know, so, so the name Lonesome Roads kept coming up. And, um, and it... On Stephanie Miller, they would they would play this clip from the movie, uh, which we heard a little bit about. Um, and this is uh, this scene is referred to as the Dark Night of the Soul. In new ratings this morning, fifty three point seven. Just picked up another million. This whole country just like my flock of sheep. Sheep, rednecks. Crackers, hillbillies, house frows, shut-ins, pee-pickers. Everybody that's got to jump when somebody else blows the whistle. <laughs> they don't know it yet, but they're all gonna be fighters for Fuller. They're mine. I own them. They think like I do. <laughs> Only they're even more stupid than I am, so I gotta think for them. Marshal, you just wait and see. I'm gonna be the power behind the president, and you'll be the power behind me. Yeah, or maybe the president. <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah. So uh, Joe, uh, the, uh, uh, obviously being a cat, being a regular of uh, the Tim Carmel show, I'm sure there. This is striking some chords of familiarity with you uh, in in the thought process here of again <laughs> yes. a guy who is basically um, a two bit kind of you know talk show host whatever tv show uh celebrity 
starts to influence people and, you know, and again, he starts thinking for them. He tells them what to think. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> Would yeah. that be like Fox well, News? <laughs> well, or or uh, let's just say uh, he who came before uh, uh, the sanity that we uh, have achieved uh, in Washington. Who uh, might be dead. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. what? <laughs> you mean the the person who came and might be dead? Oh, I, I'm thinking of, of somebody called Rush. Oh no no I'm well I'm I'm but the thing is, yeah so anyway I'm I'm saying the the other you know all of those folks on that side um and oh. uh, and uh, it, it, but uh, but Miles I mean you, you know that's uh that's kind of stark uh in in you know rings kind of true to a, a lot of um, certain political political folks today right. Without a doubt, uh, you're going to have the authoritarian mindsets really just going to, people just going to flock to it because fear of the other. So. Yeah. Well, um, and without giving too much away, if, if you haven't seen the movie, you, you got to kind of know where it's going. I, but this, this is an interview from 1972 uh, on the Morning Exchange, which kind of crystallizes the notion of what this movie was about. But seriously, how cool was that, Michelle, that they were marketing Andy Griffith as like the next Marlon Brando or the next James Dean, you know? Yeah, it was kind of a, a strong role for him. It's not what you're used to, you know, with the modern day, uh, you know, uh, uh, Andy Andy Griffith. It, just the way all, you know, he, in, in the TV show, he was always so mild-mannered and his yeah. Matlock, he was just so kind of, you know, country, but... In a pleasant way, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, this, this, I think, this clip is so poignant. Again, from 1972, him talking about this role, his role from, uh, you know, a decade and a half before. Um, this is just amazing, and and it rings true today. He predicted a lot of what we have endured in the last uh, couple decades. It was what it was was the story of a man who was an entertainer who had some power who had uh, access to the media to the television well, who, who parlayed that into a political situation. Yeah, he be <clears throat> he became. Uh, I guess people at that time didn't think it could happen. It can happen. It can happen, uh, and has happened at times. <clears throat> it might be happening now. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, uh, <laughs> this was a regular, just an interesting, energetic guy at the beginning, a free kind of a man. And uh, he, he discovered radio, and then he discovered television, and then he became accepted by people, and he became their folk hero. And then he, he started to manipulate them and tell them how to think, and they would do what he said do. And then he began to realize how much power he really had. And he started to, to influence the politicians, and he was about to launch <clears throat> this real loser into political office when oh. uh, <clears throat> when the country discovered him by uh, means of Patricia Neal who played a role called Marsha she left the audio switch open 
at the end of the at show. At the end of a show, at the end of a program, and the people actually heard what he said, and he called them sheep, and he called them uh, that, they, that, 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 that they would do exactly what he, th what he said do, and how dumb and stupid they were. Then they turned him off, but mm -hmm. he took that. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was, that was strong. Who was that man? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, what's funny is, uh, the, you know, the, the hot mic was there the last go around and, uh, people didn't, uh, turn him off. <laughs> yeah. So, and again, that's as political as I want to get, but, uh, yeah, Joe, I, I highly recommend you watch this movie. Um, I, I need to go back through it and, and, uh, pour over it, but I think Tim might want to watch this too and, um, you know, go through it for some cool clips and stuff like that. Mm. So, a face in the crowd, 1957. Um, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Go ahead. It gave me an excuse to show the uh, sheep in the tire swing. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, I we know. <laughs> Sorry, I like that that gift too. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've uh, some other fun stuff. Um, uh, Joe, you were going through the list and you uh, mentioned the mm. name John Jonathan Price. And this is special interest to me, but uh, Jonathan Price, uh, you uh, were a fan of uh, from Game of Thrones, right? From Game of Thrones, yeah. He played a religious fanatic, leader of religious fanatics. Uh, Wait, we're not talking about Andy Griffith arcs. anymore. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he was, uh, exactly. He was uh, uh, in charge when uh, Cersei, Cersei's first fall essentially but yeah go ahead right 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 and um she sort of glommed on to him as a sort of a savior of her position you know uh as a ruler but um later on that took on a uh that took on a, a life of its own that she couldn't control and uh things didn't end up nice for cersei's because uh he made her, uh, yeah, thanks, Michelle. Yeah, shame, shame. He made her march through the crowd naked for her sins. He was like a real nut. Uh, yeah, and by uh, the end of the by the end of the story shame. arc, shame, uh, shame, shame. There you go. <laughs> I got it for you. Yeah. <laughs> by the end of the story arc, he was pretty. Uh, he's a pretty hated character, and he got his. Um, he got blown up. He burned up. in hell, but he, he <laughs> burned in hell, but a hell on earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he got blown up. Yeah, uh, with the dragon fire, and uh, but yeah, so uh, but Jonathan Price, uh, he was born uh, June first, nineteen forty-seven. He's still with us. Um, he is. Uh, uh, um, uh, has done just a, an enormous amount of, uh, uh, well, he, he's been in the crown recently, the Netflix historical drama series. Yes. Um, yes, yes. And, and yeah, he was the high sparrow, uh, in game sparrow. of Thrones and he played Pope Francis in the two popes and he got an Academy award nomination for that. His first, uh, pirates of the Caribbean, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, uh, the Age of Innocence, um, and the, but the, uh, oh, in Evita, he was in Evita as well. Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, that's right, he was a Bond villain at one point, mm -hmm. but he will forever be known and loved by me for his role in 
1985's uh, Terry Gilliam film, uh, Brazil. Do you wake from your finest fantasy? Only to return to your daily nightmare. Is your mother about to look younger than you do? Does the woman of your dreams... I love you. In my dreams, I love you. ...still have a few doubts? Then it's time to take a stand. To break out of your dull, humdrum life and into Brazil. You're so pleased. You can make it quite this way. About flights of fantasy and the nightmare of reality. We're all in this together. Terrorist bombings. Terrorist bombings. I don't think it involves anything unsavory. Hey, trust me, Jack. And late night shopping. <laughs> True love. You don't trust me? Trust you? Trust you? The man who hijacks my truck, loses me my job, has every security man in town looking for me? Of course I trust you. I'm only trying to help. Yeah. And creative plumbing. There's a problem. Can you fix it? No, I can't. From Terry Gilliam, director of Time Bandits, Jonathan Price. Sam, what are we going to do with you? Robert De Niro. I came into this game for the action, the excitement. Go anywhere, travel light, get in, get, get out, get over this trouble, man alone. <laughs> Catherine Hilton and Michael Palin. We've always been close, haven't we? Yes, Jack. Until this all blows over, just stay away from me. Brazil, it's only a state of mind. We're all in it together, kid. Love this movie. I can. I've watched this movie so many times, and I'll tell you what. It's one of those films where that you can catch something new, uh, make a connection um, every time you watch it. From you know something early in the film to something later in the film, and um, you, the the movie itself kind of has its roots in um, what was it? Uh, an occurrence on the Elk Creek Bridge or or something like that. There was a Twilight Zone episode called that. Um, it, the, 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 I don't want to spoil the ending if anybody hasn't seen it, but the ending is highly influenced by a Twilight Zone episode. And Joe, you always say, uh, well, you said Bob Weatherwax, the, uh, told you everybody borrows from something. Every, that's what, that's what Steven Spielberg told him. Oh, that's what Steven Spielberg told him. Yes. Told Bob oh. when, yeah, when he, when, uh, he had OJ. Well, They're auditioning the for the role of Einstein. Yeah. Back to and, but yeah, and I think we've all seen this. Uh, 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 Miles, I believe we've talked to, I've talked to you about the, the, uh, this movie. I, I think you, you mentioned the Buttle Tuttle uh, thing before, right? Are we talking Brazil? Yeah. Um, I have memories of the plumbers coming to hell. Oh yeah. 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 Final escape. Yeah. Uh, you need form C thirty one two. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Z, Z stroke. You know whatever. <laughs> um, but ask uh, them for that form. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but Michelle, great cameo in here from Robert De Niro as uh, Harry Tuttle, not Harry Buttle. 
again, Harry Tuttle is the guy who the bureaucrats are trying to go after because he is a rogue heating engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he does, uh, basically, he, he does, uh, you know, work on people's, uh, you know, heating and cooling systems um uh as, as an act of espionage and you know zips goes in on a zip line <laughs> um and uh there's a he shows up when uh our friend Sam Sam Lowry uh played by um um why can't I remember his name I just said it 8000 times uh, uh um Jonathan Price Jonathan Price's character Sam Lowry uh, tries to call in an emergency for his heating and cooling. And we don't have that scene, the follow-up scene, Miles, from the actual uh, government guys who come to do it. But uh, I thought this was a fun little interaction between uh, Jonathan Price and um, uh, Robert De Niro. Uh, as, again, the rogue heating engineer. What are you doing? <laughs> Harry Tuttle, heating engineer at your service. Tuttle? Are you from Central Services? <laughs> I called Central Services. Well, they're a little overworked these days. Luckily, I intercepted your call. You did Just a minute. What was that business with the gun? Just a precaution, sir. Just a precaution. I've had traps set for me before now. And there are plenty of people in Central Services who'd love to get their hands on Harry Tuttle. <laughs> are you telling me that this is illegal? Well, yes and no. Officially, only Central Service operators are supposed to touch the stuff. Would you hold this, please? But nowadays, with all the new rules and regulations, they can't get decent staff anymore. So they tend to turn a blind eye, as long as I'm careful. Like, mind you, if ever they could prove that I've been working on their equipment. <laughs> well, now that's a pipe of a different color. <laughs> but wouldn't it be simpler just to, you Would know, you work with... for me, please? Sorry, yes. I was saying, wouldn't it be simpler to work for Central Services? Ah! Ah, couldn't stand the pay. Getting warm. You couldn't what? Couldn't stand the what? Paperwork. Couldn't stand the paperwork. Listen. Tell me about it. This whole system of yours could be on fire, and I couldn't even turn on a kitchen tap without filling out a 27B stroke six. Bloody paperwork. <laughs> I suppose one has to expect a certain amount. Why? I came into this game for the action, the excitement. Go anywhere, travel light, get in, get out, wherever there's trouble, a man alone. <laughs> now they got the whole country sectioned off. You can't make a move without a form. All right, so and the the uh, the duct work in these places and the tubes and the pipes and everything—they're insane. Uh, Terry Gilliam did dystopia, does dystopia so well, uh, you know. And, but this movie is—if uh, uh, I haven't said it already, I've said it, but I have said it in the past. This is my favorite movie of all time. I love everything about it, um, and uh, definitely check this one out. Um, but I'll tell you what, we're running a, a little bit long. I think I've, I've actually gotten a little bit too much audio tonight, but when we come back, uh, we're going to go ahead and, uh, play our debut, our brand new Kill the Hippies rock block, 
Um, Mort, again, was too cool. Last night sent me a whole bunch of uh, archive stuff. Heard probably in any kind of broadcast. This is probably the first time it's been broadcast anywhere, unless maybe he shared it with a college radio station or something like that. But it's not uploaded anywhere or mass-produced. So we have um, a song that Melissa sings called Unrelated Speci uh, Species, uh, and then two from Matt called Stab My Way and Watch Me Bleed. They are, a, a, they're not as slick as some of the other ones, but they are great, intense songs. I love them. But yeah, so we'll be right back uh, and we'll talk about some more birthdays right after this.
I heard that. I think we all did. It's very loud and rock and roll. <laughs> so, uh, welcome back uh, to the show. Thanks again to Mort for digging stuff out for from the vault for us. Gosh, that last song. I, he I, he would be happy to know. I think that sounds a lot like Venom. That last song, uh, "Watch Me Bleed." Uh, That's some great music. I oh really, God. really like his stuff. It brings They're back so, memories. <laughs> yeah, him, and, him and Melissa are so talented. And uh, I told him, I, I was like, after he sent me this stuff last night, I was like, I want to record with you guys again. We, we got to do it now that the pandemic's uh, over. So, well, I'm sorry. It's not over now that things are better. And we're all vaccinated. They're, they're vaccinated. They're very pro-vaccine and science. And, um, and they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're the good guys. Yeah, Miles and I should be fully vaxxed now. We should. We're yeah. at our two-week mark, so yay. Yep. Me too. Me too. So um, I think I'm at my three-week. So you guys were like a week behind me or something like that. So, but uh, all right. Well, I want to get back into it. I want to pull you guys in a little bit um, uh, on this too. Uh, uh, Miles, I, I'm not sure if you were a fan of this movie, but I picked a, a, a sci-fi classic uh, for one of our birthday uh, celebrities, Um are you familiar with the film from 1972 called Silent Running? Silent Running. Well, hey, let me it play you the trailer. Not and you, sound familiar. You can, you can uh, see, see uh, but I, I recommend you watch this. It's a great sci-fi classic if you haven't seen it. But here's the trailer for it. Space convoy on a strange voyage, carrying a rare cargo. The forests, the plants, the growing things doomed to extinction on Earth. We have just received orders to abandon and nuclear destruct all the forests and return our ships to commercial service. And we're going home! We can't blow up this forest. Silent running. Cataclysm in outer space. Every moment bringing its own danger as man explores the mysteries of an unknown and limitless universe. Valley Forge, Valley Forge, what the hell's wrong? You're moving out, you're accelerating. I've got a premature detonation on dome number two and I've got an explosion in the main cargo deck. Now please advise me immediately. Give me Barker. I can't find Barker, I can't find Wolf or Keenan either. I'm afraid, Neil, that they might have been in dome number two. Dome number one. Meet the almost human drones, amazing companions on a journey beyond the stars. Yeah, not almost human. <laughs> the man had the full house and he knew it. Almost RTD. Uh, how about that? Hear Joan Baez sing Rejoice in the Sun and Silent Running. If you continue as is, we figure you'll hit the northeastern quadrant of Saturn's outer ring tomorrow morning.
Silent Running, also from 1972, also known as Tree Huggers in Space. No. Uh, I've never heard of this movie. It's really great. Um, it, it's it's a little cornball. You know, the Joan Baez music kind of turns me off a little bit, but it, it it's a product of its time. Um, it says a lot that you could get a folk singer of her caliber interested in contributing to this movie. But this starred uh, Happy Birthday to Bruce Dern, who uh, just turned 85 years old today. Uh, the father of Laura Dern, who you know from uh, many, many David Lynch productions, including Blue Velvet, uh, Twin Peaks, and, uh, uh, oh gosh, I forget what else she's been in. Oh, she was in uh, uh, the uh, last, the, the, the second uh, of the more recent uh, Star Wars movies, Miles. She played, um, oh gosh, what was her name? She had, what did she have, purple hair? She was uh, one of the admirals or something who stayed with the ship when they... Uh, Went to oh, light- turn the ship into a light speed weapon. Yeah, she was. A- then well, escapes me. That's okay. Um, but yeah, so don't forget Jurassic Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Joe. But yeah, so but Bruce Dern, we we talked about when I uh, uh, gave everybody the review of Big Love. Uh, he 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 was in that uh, show as well. Um, that we uh, we did we talked about on the. Um, Oh gosh, the Bill Paxton tribute uh, show, and uh, yeah. but but yeah, I, I think uh, I think you might get a kick out of this one, uh, Miles. Uh, I think you should check it out. Cool, cool. Uh, Joe, um, have, you se- oh, have you seen this one, Joe? Yes, 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 I have. It is a, it is a classic. I think it's an unrated classic, and the special effects were were, were still hold up pretty good today. Uh, but Michelle, what were you going to say? I wasn't. Uh, I I know he's had a really long career, a lot of cool stuff. But yeah. what's, did what didn't he do a lot of westerns when he was younger? I think he did. Yeah, I I, I believe he did. Um, so I seem to remember him from things like Bonanza and maybe Gunsmoke and stuff like that. So yeah. So um. But yeah, yeah. And he played a lot of villains too. So um. He was in the Hateful Eight. Uh. Um. That was uh, the twenty fifteen. Uh, movie that uh, Quentin Tarantino did. That that's a western. He was in Django Unchained as well in 2012, um, and uh, uh, he was in 1974's The Great Gatsby as well. So all kinds of good stuff. But uh, since we're a little limited on time, Michelle, I, I picked. Uh, uh, everybody knows Cleavon Little from uh, from uh, Blazing Saddles. But I thought I would pick something that uh, not a lot of people um, uh, talk about, uh, you know, a, a movie of his. I, it, it, but he was born June 1st, 1939, passed away, sadly, in 1992. Um, but I'm just going to play the, the trailer, Michelle, because you're going to know the movie uh, right off when I play it for you. So here you go. Mark Kendall's a regular guy. Get me out of here! With normal problems. I want to, but I want it to be special. But Mark's just discovered... Hello, tall, dark, and handsome. (laughs) ...that his one-night stand... I haven't had anything this pure since the Vienna Boys Choir hit town. ...has been around for centuries. I'm 390 years old. 
400 if you're a dick. Mark oh. Kendall is necking. Finally happened. With a vampire. Did I enjoy it? <laughs> now Ow. he's losing his what? girl. Bit my lip. His customers. Let's get out of here. His image. Look, I'm not there. And his mind. Oh wow, I love your outfits. I'm not wearing a costume. Mark's got to choose. It's like you're not the Mark I thought I knew. You look like Jerry Lewis. Between his first love. I'm the owner of the pants you've been trying to get into for the last four years. And his last date. How would you like to spend eternity with me? I can't. I gotta go to college. Before his future goes up in smoke. How'd you like your crotch set on fire? Ooh, rough trade. <laughs> Nothing is sacred. <laughs> in a tasty comedy. Can I have one of those uncooked ones? You can sink your teeth into. How was it? Delicious. Once bitten. Once bitten. I don't want to be a vampire. I'm a day person. Very early Jim Carrey film, Once Bitten from 1985, and uh, starring Cleavon Little in a supporting role as Sebastian, the assistant to the uh, vampirus. Oh yeah, great role, great character. Yeah, like I did, I I did one of my favorite quotes from the thing. You know, she goes, "Sebastian, out of the closet." He comes out of the closet. He goes, "I came out of the closet centuries ago." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love that uh, he's like, "How'd you like me to set your crotch on fire?" And he's like, "Ooh, rough trade." <laughs> yes. <laughs> and but, I know those scenes. I could see them as the, as the trailer was yeah. playing in my mind. I mean, what a great role for him, you know, just because his comic timing was so great. And, uh, you know, it, it's so sad that, you know, he didn't have a lot more film roles than he did. Um, you know, he d did a lot of television, you know, one episode here, two episodes there. They actually, he, uh, they, he passed away. I forget what the name of the show was. Let me see. Um, he was given a, a show on, on Fox. And he died during production, and they replaced him. Um, and uh, let me see, what was it? Uh, okay, that's that's movies, filmography. Uh, gosh, I can't find it. Um, but he he had um, there. Well, he did a lot of theater roles too. Um, uh, well, a fair amount. You know, like he had three decent Broadway runs. But, um, yeah, I can't remember the name of the show. I wish I could find it. Um, I'm looking, uh, let me see. Uh, but yeah, he, uh, he died of cancer in, um, which just sucks. But no, I can't find, I can't find his television role on that. But there was a, a Fox show where he got the, the they, they started it. And he was in it, and then he passed away, and then they replaced him, and the show didn't last very long at all. But no, this this is fun, and I I think I'm uh, I should have played this already at the I should have played this uh, at the start of the show. Quiet, please, gentlemen and ladies. Welcome to this most auspicious occasion. And now for the unveiling. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Cleavon Little. Um, and uh, but yeah, uh, I I figured you'd appreciate that one, Michelle. Oh, it's it's one of my favorites. I I actually had one of the sound clips that I actually love the most from that movie, where the girlfriend says, "You know, Mark doesn't want you because you're mean and evil." 
He wants me yeah. because I'm nice and sweet and pure. So <laughs> F off. <laughs> there I go. So um, I, I think I should have time to do the the last uh, of what I wanted to do. The, the sad thing about this clip that I'm going to play is I could not find a trailer for this movie. And it's driving me crazy that there's no trailer for this. And it's a movie that I talked about a while ago on another show called The Ninth Configuration, which is kind of the secret sequel to The Exorcist. Um, this is a great film starring Stacy Keach. He's our uh, um, our birthday guy. Uh, of course, Stacy Keach, known for... Uh, I mean, he... Unfortunately, Stacy Keach uh, really kind of got shoe, you know, shoehorned into the Mike Hammer role, but... He was a very, very respected actor, um, you know, back in the day. And um, he um, uh, was in this movie called The Ninth Configuration. It was also known Twinkle Twinkle Little uh, uh, Killer Kane. And um, the, uh, of course, uh, in real quick, Stacey Keach was born June 20, uh, I'm sorry, June 2nd, 1941. And um, the this film was is just a magnificent. Apparently, the ninth configuration was um, meant to be a stage play, but it was a it was the first directorial debut of uh, William Peter Blatty, who wrote the Exorcist novel. And essentially, it was a continuation of one of the characters from the Exorcist movie. The you remember the astronaut um, who Reagan says you know uh, that you're gonna die in space or whatever she said. Um, well, he went to space and he went crazy. He saw this vision, and the uh, Scott Wilson was the guy who played the astronaut, um, uh, who shares the same name uh, as Captain Billy Cutshaw from the character in The Exorcist. The character Billy Cutshaw in The Exorcist was played by a different actor. But Scott Wilson, a lot of people, if, if anybody's watched The Walking Dead, um, he played, uh, um, I forget the character's name, but he was an older older fellow with a white beard and everything. And he just passed away not that long ago. But, uh, uh, and um, uh, Jason Miller was in this too. Jason Miller uh, was known for playing the uh, one of the priests in The Exorcist as well. Um, and... It's it's really and Michelle, you watched it and you said it kind of reminded you of like you know Mash a little bit with like the you know essentially it was it was a psych ward for uh, guys in the military who had suffered uh, you know some kind of mental trauma. So I wouldn't yeah a little bit with the flashbacks and things like that yeah the, or with the strange dream sequences it had it was yeah it was really peculiar and they kind of had a clinger kind of guy there too and they were trying putting on a play of Mac, uh, putting on Macbeth with dogs and yeah that know. was funny <laughs> um but the 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 interaction though I, I have I, I wish there was a trailer but um unfortunately there's not but i figured stacy keach just to show what a fine actor he, he he is and not just the hard-boiled you know kind of cheesy mike hammer character um i have a clip here uh where stacy keach and scott wilson's characters interact and this movie is really really twisted it has some really a few really weird twists in it but this is um uh just a really good bit of dialogue between um 
Again, Stacy Keach and Scott Wilson's characters in the ninth configuration. Animals are innocent. Why should they suffer? Why should children suffer? Will you tell me that? Why should any baby have to suffer and die? Why should men? Oh, come on now. Don't try that one on me. You've got answers for it. Like pain makes people noble. And how could man be more than a talking tennis playing panda bear if it weren't at least for the possibility of suffering? But what about animals, Hud? Does pain make turkeys noble? Why is all of creation based on dog eat dog and the little fish are eaten by the big fish? Animals screaming in pain. All of creation an open wound, a fucking slaughterhouse. We've talked about that. Not enough! We said original sin might be the cause. Then why doesn't Foot just come down and tell us? Is Foot running short of tablets of stone? My Uncle Eddie owns a quarry. I'll get them for him wholesale. You're asking for miracles. I'm asking Foot to either shit or get off the pot. Diuretic, strange gods have been waiting in line. Maybe God can't interfere in our affairs. So I've noticed. Maybe he can't, because to do so would spoil his plan for the future. Some evolution of man and the world so unthinkably beautiful that it's worth all the pain of every suffering thing that ever lived. I say it's spinach and to hell with it. You're convinced that God is dead because there's evil in the world. Correct. And why don't you think he's alive because of the goodness in the world? What goodness? Everywhere, in man. You're committable. If we're nothing but atoms, molecular structures no different in kind from this desk or that pen, then we ought to always be rushing irresistibly, blindly towards serving our own selfish ends. So how is it that there is love in this world? I mean love as a god might love. And the man will give his life for another. Never happened. Of course it happened. Give me one example. It happens all the time. Name one example. A soldier throws himself on top of a live grenade to prevent the other men in his squad from being hit. That's reflex action. A shipwrecked survivor in the middle of an ocean finds out that he has typhoid and deliberately goes over the side of the lifeboat to keep the others in the boat from contracting the disease. Now, what do you call that? Reflex action? No, I call that suicide. Suicide and giving up your life are not the same. You're so dumb, you're adorable. The essence of suicide is despair. The essence of suicide is you don't collect the insurance. Listen. Who doesn't know but what all these examples we keep on hearing about aren't bullshit? I don't have some basically bullshit, selfish explanation. I know. I don't. Now give me one example, just one, that you know of personally. Personally, just one. I thought as much. Bravo. I mean, it, what you know, that was the the more manic of the two was uh, Scott Wilson and uh Stacy Keach was the more subdued. Uh also Michelle, uh Stacy Keach had uh you remember that uh, I think we talked about body bags before uh maybe back on on uh Adam's show way back in the day. Um the body bags that uh TV movie was uh it was uh wasn't John Carpenter involved in that or something? I think so. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he played the he played the um the the mortician that was or the the coroner. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Stacy Keach had um was going bald, 
and then grew like long, luxurious hair. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the funny that was, one. That was. And he also did the voice of uh, the Phantasm in Mas- Batman Mask of the Phantasm. So um, there's that. Um, so, uh, but yeah, Joe, have you ever seen the ninth configuration? Uh, no, it's, it's really worth watching. I mean, you don't have to like the exorcist to see this movie. You don't even have to know the exorcist to see this movie. They're completely unrelated. This one is, it's just a really nice movie. It, It is disturbing in parts, but it's, it's a really, um, nice movie with, interesting character interactions and you know a, a lot of sadness but um also a lot of um i don't know it has it almost has a, a, a an odd healing you know factor to it when you watch it uh, about and, you know, and there, there is a warning though the bar scene is pretty brutal <laughs> the bar scene is real brutal yeah yeah so um but yeah, and it, there are some interesting twists in it. Miles, did you watch this one when we talked about it way back in the day? I've never. No, this is another movie okay. I don't know of or haven't heard of. It, it is interesting, and I'll tell you, I don't want to spoil it, but the opening of the film has one of the most stunning visuals uh, when the astronaut character actually goes to uh, the moon. Um, there is a visual. I don't want to spoil it, but it's it's. Um, it's it's on par with uh, you know something out of two thousand one, a space odyssey, uh, but it is not a sci fi movie at all. Um, and uh, but yeah, but Joe, I highly recommend you you check this one out. Um, Stacy Keach is amazing in this. Scott Wilson, very amazing. intense. Yes. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and and when you find out the the twists of it, it's it it, it, it the the movie kind of meanders. And it kind of, you know, takes like a little bit of you got to have a, a lot of suspension to disbelief on on how things play out. But it's a very, very well done film. And um, I, I definitely recommend it. Now, I have one last trailer I want to play. And this one I had in mind for Michelle as well. Um <laughs> This one is from 1988. I'm not going to spoil it. Another one of our celebrity birthdays. And uh, it has a great cast, too. Oh, my gosh. There's someone out there. No one knows his name. No one knows his face. Oh, no. But now, the most terrifying man in the city... Carries a badge. Edward, unstable and with a deceleration injury. His in your old hanging. You really think a cop did this? Why not? Would you automatically assume that it was a police officer instead of some lunatic dressed up like a cop? Vice squad. Go kill again. He enjoys killing. He strikes without cause, without mercy. You may be getting information from inside the department. That means he is one of us. You see a cop, you cross to the other side of the street. You're not gonna get me. Everybody wants to shoot a cop nowadays has got one hell of an excuse. This one is my personal life, any of your business. Since your wife was found dead in the motel room. You gotta be wrong. You wanna see the pretty picture? (laughs) 
where I could see them. Hold on, I, I didn't do any of this. When a cop turns killer, you have the right to remain silent forever. forever. <laughs> Maniac Cop. Uh, I just recently watched this, rewatched this film for the first time, and I forgot what a stellar cast it, it had. The late uh, Robert Zadar was in it. He was born. He's our birthday guy, June third, nineteen fifty. But this movie had and- Bruce Bruce Campbell, Richard Roundtree, um, Tim uh, Tim Atkins, of course, from uh, Season of the Witch, Halloween Season of the Witch. Um, uh, and, uh, William Smith, if you don't know who William Smith is, he's, well, he was in a Kolchak episode that we, I think one of the ones that we talked about, um, it it just an incredible cast. It's a fun film. It, it, I think it aged pretty well. And, um, geez, a movie about cops turning killer. Uh, we got a lot of prescient uh, films tonight, folks. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I actually just recently watched it too, and I watched uh, the second one as well because um, it, they were Joe Bob Briggs was doing them on Shutter. Oh, and nice. I I was enjoying watching that. And uh, Bruce's birthday is towards the end of the month, so we can oh. talk about him. Oh, yes. all right, yeah, Bruce Campbell all the way. We'll get his Spider-Man uh, cameos and all that fun stuff. So, uh, but Some anyway, evil dead action. Uh, yeah, definitely Evil Dead, Spider-Man cameos, uh, Bubba Hotep, uh, whatever. I think, uh, uh, yeah. But anyway, I don't want to. Uh, I want to go to the break. Don't worry, Miles. We'll have plenty of time for you. Uh, if you know, uh, if we have to, we will abbreviate uh, our Twilight Zone time. Um, but yeah, let's go to the break right now. And uh, when we come back, Miles is gonna put us in deep Dooku territory. You ready, buddy? I'll take your silence as a yes. (laughs) Yeah, he he had to step away for a moment. (laughs) No problem. So, all right, we'll be right back talking about Count Dooku. The only thing that counts in the end is power. Naked, merciless force! Yo! Stop your grinning and drop your linen. It's going to be a good night. Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last. The real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish undertaking. Something evil. You forgot where you came from, kid. But I know where you're going. Not recommended for impressionable children. Mm-mm. Not at all. Well, I think Star Wars talk, we could uh, let the kids listen to this part. 
Welcome back to It Came From Cleveland, episode 10 for June 4th, 2021. Very excited about this show, and uh, uh, welcome back, Joe. Hello. Hello there. And, of course, Michelle, welcome back. Great clip. Loved it. Uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, tell them Freddie sent you. And, uh, and last but not least, Miles, uh, we are going to play some pickup from last week um, yes. on uh, a character by the late, great Christopher Lee from the Star Wars franchise. Um, and that was uh, one Count Dooku. And you, you, you delved into his history and were quite fascinated by it. it yes, yes. This character has depth. And uh, it, it the, the more I dug, I the more I decided that it was worthy of its own segment. It just uh, it, it's too good to ignore. But I do want to do a quick touch back on last week when we were talking about Peter Cushing, and um, I think uh, uh, sometime later in the show I'll, uh, it's on my phone. But I have some photos of Peter Cushing. He was a war gamer. And there are pictures of him actually painting little soldier miniatures, and he actually participated in games with friends, nice. recreating old battles. So I just wanted to do a quick mention on that. Nice. But uh, back cool. to Dooku. All right. Uh, so Dooku is uh, Count Dooku, who was uh, one of the head honchos of the separatist movement, which was clashing with the Great Republic. In the uh, in the trilogy in the prequels of the Star Wars uh, movie line, so quick question to everyone: uh, the Sith and the Jedi have uh, you know, a number of things in common. But one of them is the hierarchy, where you have a master and you have apprentices. Mm -hmm. This is true for both. So uh, for Dooku, who can tell me who Dooku's master was? Dooku's master. Um, whew, that that's a good one. Um, was Darth Maul? Darth Maul was actually under. Uh, oh, that's right. He was under um, Darth Sidious. Sidious. And it wasn't Darth that, Sidious. That was... So no, I I, I wouldn't no. begin to know. Yoda. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, so who was Dooku's apprentice? Dooku's apprentice. Qui-Gon Jinn? Correct. Okay. So, Qui-Gon, uh, in, in the hierarchy, you've got Yoda, who mastered Dooku, who mastered Qui-Gon, who mastered Kenobi... Who mastered Anakin? So not a great line. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> things things went wrong. I mean, Kenobi's the one shining light there. Yoda's got issues. We can. Uh, he kind of he has his his character history has also got some flaws in it. But anyway, so uh, Dooku was a Jedi, and I'm going to argue is. A Jedi. Um, okay. The he was known. He was all, he was known as one of the Lost Twenty. And I know we got a clip ready to roll on that. Uh, I'll just explain what the Lost Twenty 
is. Sure. In the thousands of years of the Jedi Order, there are there were 20 Jedi that voluntarily left the Order. Not talking about being kicked out and that kind of stuff, but voluntarily mm -hmm. walked away to go do something else. Yeah. So, uh, in this skit, it's about it's a deleted scene from the movie, so it won't sound familiar to most if unless you've seen it. It is a it, it, in relation to the archivist when Kenobi is trying to find the lost planet, which turns out to be the planet where the clone armies being made, the Kamoans, and so on. Blah blah blah. Camino. Camino. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Camino. Uh, Camino. Right. So I'll uh, I'll let the clip I'll let the clip play. And we'll go from there. Did you call for assistance? Yes, yes, I did. Ah, he has a very powerful face, doesn't he? He was one of the most brilliant Jedi I've had the privilege of knowing. I never understood why he quit. Well, one might say he was always a bit out of step with the decisions of the Council, much like your old master, Kwai Kon Jin. Really. Oh, yes, they were very individual thinkers. Idealists. In the end, I think he left because he lost faith in the Republic. He disappeared for nine of ten years and turned up recently as head of the Separatist movement. It's very interesting. I'm not sure I completely understand. <laughs> well, you didn't call me over here for a history lesson. Are you having a problem, Master Kenobi? Hmm. And they were right. they were so, gazing at gazing at a bust of um, of Christopher Lee, yeah. or, or of uh, yes, Count Dooku. the uh, of Count Dooku, and so um, you'll hear the you heard the word idealist. That is not the only time that Dooku is referred to as an idealist. There are other Jedi, including Mace Windu, that call him that, especially when Padme makes the accusation that Dooku attempted to assassinate her, and they're like, no, 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 Dooku's an idealist. He's not an assassin. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's true. Dooku, Dooku, yeah. So um, so he's going, it, 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 you'll, in that scene, when um, uh, Kenobi is looking for Kamino, the lost planet, the archivist uh, in a, in a, in the scene in in the uh, clip that we're not we, we don't have, but she talks about how if a planet is not in the Jedi archives, and the planet does not exist, and that is an example of the height of Jedi arrogance, where they are just like, nah, if we don't know about it, it's nothing worth worrying about. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah, the hubris. It's it's very much uh, a problem for the Jedi and. Dooku, when when she calls him an idealist, his goal was to reform the Jedi because the Jedi had become too much of a pawn of the Republic, and he considered the Republic corrupt. Okay. Which is true. The Republic was very corrupt. There were instances of where a, um, a planet would call for help. Like, hey, Pirates are kicking our asses. We need some help. You know, Republic, come and get our help. And the Republic would be like, oh, gosh, you're kind of behind on your taxes. So, uh, no. Right. It's that kind of thing where Dooku was like, look, these people are in pain. They need help. They need, you know, people are dying. We need to help the people. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and the Republic was just too much about materialism, which, <laughs> shocker alert, very, 
very much in line with modern, uh, you know, corporatism uh, that, that we deal with in our own politics. So yeah, the, the, it's, it's very, very much that that's the case. So Gosh, isn't it little crazy? More isn't it crazy? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I said, isn't it crazy how, uh, uh, entertainment, uh, is, is so, uh, uh, you know, again, prescient of, of where we are in the real world today. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so I want to touch on one thing before I, I get into the history of Dooku and that is about how, um, all right, so the Sith. You'll recall that Palpatine, when he was engaged with Mace Windu, and he cuts loose with the lightning and how his body starts to wither and his mm -hmm. eyes glaze over into that yellow or orange look. Yeah. And Anakin, same thing. He's there in the Jedi Temple, embraces the dark side. He's there to kill the Padawans or the younglings, and his eyes turn orange. And Darth Maul... No need to point out his orange eyes. It's always there. Yeah. But Dooku, his eyes never turn orange or yellow or any other color. They're his natural color. Yeah. Always. And there's a reason for that. And that is that Dooku never embraces. He never enjoys the dark side. He doesn't use it for the thrill or for the fun or for the power. It's a necessary tool to obtain his objective. So what All is right. his objective? Well, one, he considers the Republic, Republic corrupt, and, and he can't reform the Jedi until the Republic is dealt with, and that's how Palpatine... Anyway, so back to the history of Dooku. But I needed to touch on that. Anyway, so back to the history of Dooku. He had a friend in the Jedi when he was um, uh, growing up and becoming his own Padawan uh, as a... a Oh, 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 I gotta bring this up. So he was born on the planet Serrano and he was abandoned by his father when his father de detected that his son had force powers. And this is like bad. You know, his father rejects him and abandons him to the Jedi Temple and leaves him out into the elements. Dooku is found as a baby. And rescued by a Jedi Seeker, that's a different type class of Jedi, and taken in as a youngling and raised in the ways of the Jedi. Okay. So he has a friend in the Jedi, and, and they are both Padawans, and the name of this Jedi is Sifo-Dyas. Anyone re recall that name? I do, I do. I'm having a hard time placing the character, but I did watch the Clone Wars, and I think that character was in there uh, quite a bit. It is mentioned mostly. I don't. Th I, probably a brief video clip of him. Sifo-Dyas is the Jedi. I meant that oh, went. Oh, I, I was to, talking to about the animated, the, the animated one. But no. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you now. He went to Camino and ordered the clone army because Sifo-Dyas had. It was the type of Jedi that had visions, and he did. He had visions of the Sith coming back. And attacking and destroying the Jedi Order. So Sifo-Dyas was the one, through some convincing, to go and help the Republic with um, this upcoming threat and create an army that would be needed. Mm -hmm. Of course, Palpatine is a major factor in that because Palpatine has his fingers everywhere. But that, that is Sifo-Dyas. So Dooku and Sifo-Dyas are friends as they're growing up. And... There was a 
a Jedi named a master Jedi named Cordova, and she was a archaeologist, if you will. She went through the galaxy looking for Sith artifacts to be collected and stored. <laughs> yeah, that's that was her. And and Dooku hated the Sith. He wanted them destroyed. And so this Jedi Master was the one that he aspired to apprentice under. And so when the apprentice uh, training duel came up, and this is where the competition happens and Masters will choose their apprentices, mm -hmm. uh, Dooku was chosen to go up against his best friend, Sypha Dias. And Dooku was always considered the most skilled duelist. And so they were both blindfolded, as Jedi are when they're fighting, and they they fight. And Dooku is the supreme fighter. He is the master duelist. He uh, disarms um, Sifo-Dyas. And, you know, his, his lightsaber goes flying. And here's the thing. The, uh, Dooku has such honor that he uses the force to tele to telekinesis the lightsaber back to his friend so the fight can continue so the duel can continue and give his friend some honor in not you know losing so quickly or something to that effect yeah yeah so so dooku there uh, in his history you're seeing signs of him being an honorable individual a person that is really focused so he wanted kastana uh, Cordova, I'm sorry, Cordova to be the Jedi Master that accepts him so they can hunt Sith artifacts and hunt down the Sith and, and, and find ways to defeat them. But yes. Cordova selects Sifo-Dyas to be her apprentice. And this displeases <laughs> Dooku. Well, Dooku Noah, has a sense it, of abandonment. Uh, yeah. yeah well, Dooku no, has a sense knowing, of abandonment issues. Yeah. Well, knowing all this about Dooku and uh, his fate at the hands of Anakin um, is just kind of messed up, you know? It is. You know, it I is. mean, yes. I mean, this is kind of, this is some stuff that these prequels would have benefited from had it been a greater part of the storyline. If you, know. you understood more context, yes, you just see you just see Dooku as this bad guy, but you don't understand his motivations. So, yeah. um, he doesn't get the master he wants, and so he's got these these issues of of abandonment because his father he find he finds out his father. Oh God, the father. So, oh oh, so then Yoda accepts Dooku as his apprentice, and he takes Dooku on as a quote project yeah not the oh. best of uh ways to be accepted as an apprentice no you know so because yoda's <laughs> kind of like mollifying him sort of like because dooku's like sith 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 and yoda's like not nah, don't be so you know if they're the, eh, you know the, the sith aren't that powerful yeah they're in the shadows da, 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 da. so yes yoda's doing this constant like don't focus so much on the sith focus on this or that mm -hmm. or whatever anyway so um Sifo-Dyas has a vision of this planet. I can't remember the name, but it's going to be hit with a solar storm. It's going to be a, a huge loss of life. Yeah. They bring this to the Jedi Council. The Jedi Council's like, eh, visions are, they're, you know, the, mo the future's always in motion. You can't really accept visions for this and that, blah, blah, blah. It's, dis it's dismissed. 
They go to the planet's senator and bring up this concern like, hey, solar storm's coming, problem. And the senator, instead of being concerned for the loss of life, the senator's concern is for the materials, the, the resources of the planet. Yeah. So this is like, what? And so they go um, with Yoda to the planet to try and, you know, figure out, yeah, is this really going to happen? Is there a problem? Well, guess yeah. what? It happens. Major loss in life. And it's a it's a major blow to, to Dooku's belief in the Republic for being too materialistic and in the Jedi Council for being too slow to act on things that are obvious, you know, like, hey, this this needed more looking into. So mm -hmm. Dooku had good reason for feeling the way he did. Yeah. So Dooku finds out his father, where what planet he's from, and his sister comes to him and says, "Hey, tyrant ruling our people, kicking, killing them. It's bad. Please come and help." And he goes to the Jedi Council. Jedi Council's like, "Nope, planet's not part of the Republic. Can't help." And Dooku's like, "Screw you." He goes behind the the Jedi Council's back goes to his home planet, kills the tyrant, and takes his place because the tyrant happens to be his brother. It is at this point that ah. Dooku takes his heritage and becomes Count Dooku oh, and rules okay. the planet for nine years as a benevolent dictator or king, or if you will. Sure. And he does an extremely good job at, at trying to reform the Republic from the outside. Mm-hmm. Ah, now we get to the part of Palpatine. Because Palpatine, ha is, being a Sith, very cunning, learns and understands that Dooku is not the type of individual that would be wooed by power, by thing greed or any or, you know, any of that yeah. revenge. That's not what Dooku he, wants. He has Dooku a doesn't sense of, want he has a sense of justice. Yes. Dooku doesn't want to rule the galaxy. He wants to make the galaxy better. He doesn't want to destroy the Jedi. He wants to make the Jedi better. He wants to destroy the Sith. But he sees Palpatine as a tool because he can't fix the Jedi until he fixes the Republic. And so he joins the Separatists and as a double agent under Darth Sidious to destroy the Republic so he can further his goals. After the Republic is dealt with, he plans to destroy the uh, Palpatine, Darth Sidious. And the evidence for this is in the next clip that where he explains everything to Kenobi. So uh, that, that's when this clip should be. Oh no, my friend. This is a mistake, a terrible mistake. They've gone too far. This is madness. I thought you were the leader here, Dooku. This had nothing to do with me, I assure you. I will petition immediately to have you set free. Well, I hope it doesn't take too long. I have work to do. May I ask why a Jedi Knight is all the way out here on Geonosis? I've been tracking a bounty hunter named Jango Fett. Do you know him? There are no bounty hunters here that I am aware of. The Geonosians don't trust them. Well, who can blame them? But he is here, I can assure you. It's a great pity that our paths have never crossed before, Obi-Wan. 
Qui-Gon always spoke very highly of you. I wish he were still alive. I could use his help right now. Qui-Gon Jinn would never join you. Don't be so sure, my young Jedi. You forget that he was once my apprentice, just as you were once his. He knew all about the corruption in the Senate, but he would never have gone along with it if he had learned the truth as I have. The truth? The truth. What if I told you that the Republic was now under the control of the Dark Lord of the Sith? No, that's not possible. The Jedi would be aware of it. The dark side of the Force has clouded their vision, my friend. Hundreds of Senators are now under the influence of a Sith Lord called Darth Sidious. I don't believe you. The Viceroy of the Trade Federation was once in league with this Darth Sidious. But he was betrayed ten years ago by the Dark Lord. He came to me for help. He told me everything. You must join me, Obi-Wan. And together, we will destroy the Sith. I will never join you, Dooku. It may be difficult to secure your release. Yeah, and this, this all adds a lot more depth to this character than... Uh... I, uh, it does change yeah. your viewpoint of him, I, I would hope. And uh, the prequels. Uh, and the prequels, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, so Palpatine succeeds in, you know, uh, getting Dooku to kind of play a pawn in, in some role. And Dooku does use some dark force powers, but again, as a necessary evil to uh, for the purposes of obtaining a greater good. Mm -hmm. So he, him wishing that Qui-Gon was still alive... And I believe that Dooku is correct because if you recall, Qui-Gon did butt heads with the Jedi Council when he brought young Anakin up there and said, hey, this kid needs training. He needs proper training because I believe he's the chosen one. Prophecy, pay attention. And the Jedi Council gave him raspberries. Yeah. And so Yoda was if, kind of a, a dick and all that. Yeah. So if Dooku and Qui-Gon were able to successfully reform the Jedi and had given Anakin the path he deserved, the training he needed, and the, and the security mm -hmm. that would have helped him and helped him avoid the path that led him to becoming to the Sith. You can just see, imagine that the, how much different, all the difference in the world that would have made. So, but right there in that clip, when you hear uh, Kenobi saying, I don't believe you, right there, that's the Jedi arrogance. Like, no, it's impossible. We would know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, so. He had, he had insights. And then, you know, I, I guess at the time when I watched this and I saw the, um, you know the the fight and the butchery from Anakin and him. For some reason, I, I just had in my mind it, it felt like it was kind of justified, I guess. 
But those prequels were such a mess with all the slapstick and nonsense that they had to throw in, all the Roger Roger and Jar Jar Binks and shit like that. You know that uh, you know uh, they, they. I can see that being a turnoff. Yeah, you know that that uh, you know this would have made the films a lot more interesting had that storyline been fleshed out a little bit more, and we would see the actual tragedy of the slaughter of Count Dooku. Right. When you see Dooku fighting Kenobi and Anakin, it's obvious he's the superior fighter, and he does not kill them. Yeah. And Anakin He wounds them, a, might chop a hand dirt, off or whatever, yeah. Yeah. but does not kill them. Yeah. And this is a Jedi, this is the master duelist of the entire Jedi order. Mm-hmm. And this guy is, was known to be just the shit when it came to dealing with dueling. So uh we need some recuts. Yeah. We need some recuts, some reshoots, uh some uh <laughs> Uh, take some Christopher Lee clips from other movies, uh, you know, uh, do some CGI. Yeah. And and then there's that scene where um, eventually Anakin wins out and uh, Dooku's on his knees with his hands cut off and Sidious yeah. uh, convinces Anakin to kill Dooku and Deers, and that's the end of Dooku. So. Well, and the look on, the, the utter shock on Christopher Lee's face as Dooku when his hands are cut off like that um uh, that masterful like you know this is you can see in the look on his face that he's expressing this this guy is evil he's, this guy is pure he's, evil he's, he's failed yeah and, uh, i mean and, it's the look yeah. of someone of in shock like oh my god this is over i failed you know that kind of, yeah I, I yeah i i that's what i see he's succumbed to um, you know I, I hope I have succeeded in um, giving Dooku a, a kind of a peeling away a, a layer of the onion to give everyone a, a different way of looking at yeah. the character. No, I like that. That that was good. I, I appreciate that. So, uh, but we do have to get going to the break right now. Um, we are going to come back. Uh, and uh, Joe, are you cool to lead the Twilight Zone for us when we come back? Uh, yeah, sure. All right, Mr. Beavis, uh, Season 1, Episode 33, uh, coming up from 61 years ago today. But before we get to that, uh, Adam's, Adam Hebert's Mythical Moment, number 9, uh, Part 1 of a uh, continuation that he'll be uh, presenting. And the robots answer Mort from Kill the Hippies question. I think you're going to like this one a lot, everybody. We'll be right back with the final segment here of It Came From Cleveland. The hot rock business is in a slump. For Radio for Humans and It Came From Cleveland, this is Adam Hebert with your mythical moment number nine. The Monkey King Part 1, Monkey Business. Journey to the West is one of the four classic Chinese novels. And of all the characters to be featured in it, the most famous and popular one is Sun Wukong, the Monkey King. We'll be departing from our normal format for this one, making the story of Sun Wukong, the Monkey King our first multiple part story. Here is the story of his rise, fall, and imprisonment, 
that set him on the road to enlightenment, Buddhahood, and redemption in an epic journey to India with the Tang monk, Xuanzang. Our story begins on a flower fruit mountain where at its peak was a magical stone. And while this stone was special to begin with, it was made even more special by being exposed to the twin forces of yin and yang, heaven and earth. Eventually the stone created a stone egg, from which emerged a stone monkey when the wind blew upon it. This stone monkey bowed to the heavens and earth before looking up, and from its eyes came two beautiful beams of light. This startled the Jade Emperor, and he sent some deities to look into it. They returned, telling him about the strange stone monkey born from the stone. The Jade Emperor told them not to concern themselves with him, as they can't be concerned with everything that happens on the mortal plane, a decision that he would come to regret later in her story. The monkeys talked amongst themselves and declared that whoever goes through the waterfall, finds the source of the water, and returns will become king of the monkeys. And so, the stone monkey jumped through and found a cave on the other side, which he took to exploring. He found a plaque declaring the cave to be the Water Curtain Cave. He returns and tells the others it is safe. The monkeys all decide to make the cave their home since it has everything they need to live comfortable lives. But not before the stone monkey reminded them of their decision and promise. The monkeys agree that the stone monkey would be their king, and he took on the epithet of Handsome Monkey King because he was so modest. And for a long time, things were good. Until one day, the handsome monkey king had an epiphany. Realizing for the first time that even he was mortal and would one day die, he set out into the world to find immortality. Eventually, he found the immortal Taoist sage, Patriarch Subodhi, who took him as a disciple and gave him the name Sun Wukong, which means monkey aware of emptiness. Sun Wukong trained for a long time and was eventually offered private lessons from Subodhi after solving a riddle that involved being struck three times. In these lessons, Subodhi taught Monkey about how to get immortality. In these lessons, Subodhi taught Monkey about how to get immortality, the three heavenly calamities sent to kill those who try to attain it, as well as giving him the chance to learn one of two sets of transformation techniques that would help him avoid the calamities, the 36 heavenly transformations or the 72 earthly transformations. Monkey decides to learn the latter, as he has grasped advanced mathematical concepts like 72 being greater than 36, 1 is the loneliest number that you'll ever do, the meaning of life being 42, and that the highest number possible was actually 24. During this time, Wukong learns a lot of his signature techniques, including cloud somersaulting, which allowed him to leap tens of thousands of miles with great ease and speed. Unfortunately, eventually Monkey's time at the school would end, as when he was showing off what he had learned, Monkey exposed himself to the ire of his fellow students. For Monkey's own good, Subodhi had him leave and return to Water Curtain Cave on Flowerfoot Mountain. Before Monkey left, Subodhi warned him to never tell anyone where he learned his magic from. From the beginning, the patriarch knew Monkey was destined for both mischief and greatness. Next time on Mythical Moment, the handsome Monkey King returns home to find all is not well, and earns his first victory in battle before shaking down four dragons to get his iconic weapon and some swank new threads. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this has been Adam Hebert reminding you that monkeying around can be serious business. Back to you, Kenny. Background music is Medieval Fantasy Adventure by Alexander Nakarada, 
who can be found at www.serpentsoundstudios.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Thanks, Alexander. It's time to check in with the robots. Looky here. We has a new question at our disposal. This one comes from Mort, from that Pongrak band Kill the Heapies. He wants to know, what do Jesus paintings look like in Robit Church? Well, Robit fellow, I suppose it all depends on who painted the picture of Jeebus in the Robit Church. Yeah. A lot of old Robit masters have painted quite a few pretty good halfway decent pictures of Jeepers Christ. The most popular one is the last super, painted by Leonardo DiCaprio. That one looks like dog dirt. I don't know why it's so popular with Robit churchgoers. It must be the musky odor it emits. Robit pheromones or some nonsense. Yeah. It sure does stink. It stinks to high heaven. The transfig, urination, was painted by Raphael, and that one is kind of shit too. I think he used a dirty sponge to make that awful thing. It just sucks. It also has a malodorous stench. My god. Wow. You really know your art. Other robot. Art critic. Hot diggity dog. What's next? Well gosh, if I have to pick, I would say The Last Judge Meet by Mike. Hell's Angels. Hello. I don't even know how he did this piece of junk. He must have dipped his robot claws in pig's blood and just started spinning around like a gyroscope on angel dust. It defies logic and description. Although this one reeks of dead flesh. Piles and piles of dead flesh. It's truly a nightmare of terror. Why were robots ever allowed to paint pictures of Jesus? There is no easy answer for that one other robot art critic. I guess the human meat bags wanted to foist their values, superstitions and expectations upon us robots. So perhaps in defiance we made really crappy art as a thumb in the eye to our creators. Or maybe we never had the talent or imagination required to make priceless art for our robot churches. To be fair our churches haven't been around that long and both of them are in double wide trailers in Norway. Maybe we should branch out? Perhaps we can send robot missionaries to Canada or something. Oh what? Where am I? I just passed out from all the fumes of this stinking robot Jesus art. I need to lie down. Thanks for your question Mort. I sure hope we helped out with your curiosity of the particular subject you were hang-nangling forth with. Stiff upper lip. Oh, those wacky robots. Thanks so much. Be sure to send your listener questions to Kenny Pick for the robots to answer. Hot diggity dog. Two churches uh, for the robots are in double wide trailers in Norway. Who knew? <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks, Mort, for the question. And of course, thank you, Adam, for the mythical moment. And of course, thanks, Mort, once again for the archive, uh, archival Kill the Hippies music. Very exciting. So, all right, uh, we're talking, we're going to talk about Mr. Beavis and Mr. Butthead. No, just Mr. Beavis tonight. Joe, uh, <laughs> when we get to a little segment we like to call The Twilight Zone. 
So, you got any fun facts about this episode for us? Any, any uh, info on the actors uh, from Mr. Beavis? Season 1, episode 33. Uh, from, you might uh, recognize the uh, the main character, uh, Mr. Beavis, is Orson Bean. Yes. Um, Orson Bean was a stand-up comic in the late 50s, early 60s, 60s. He did a lot of and, game shows uh, in the 70s, too. Uh, I think he did um oh gosh uh, i i remember seeing him on a, a certain game show i can't remember what it was in the he 70s was on what's my line he was on yeah. a, a lot of those yeah a lot of those uh mm-hmm. game shows i think uh let's see i knew yeah, he, he was i knew he looked good. familiar i've got a secret what's my line to tell the truth to tell the truth yeah uh, yeah super Password, mm-hmm. um, classic concentration with Alex Trebek. Oh, plus weird. he was on. He was always on 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 um, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And yeah, actually, he was uh, blacklisted in the fifties and canceled off the uh, Ed Sullivan Show. Um, <sighs> so ugly. They let him come out. Yeah was pretty pretty bad but uh yeah you might recognize orson bean and michelle you've got one there you've got one there for us uh michelle yeah as i was watching i'm like that sounds like orson bean a very young orson bean i said i know his voice he's from he played the uh bilbo baggins in the animated rankin bass hobbit movie exactly yeah i forgot wow you know, I watched this today, and I didn't even look at the the actors and the credits and stuff. And I knew he looked familiar, but yeah, uh, it, Orson Bean, it, it makes total sense now. So thank you guys. Yeah, it was for... the voice that did it for me. I'm like, I know that voice. That can't be Orson Bean. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, so, um, uh, well, here we go. Uh, let's give a little setup for the episode. We've got two intro pieces for this, of course, Rod Serling's uh, intro. Uh, here's part one. In the parlance of the 20th century, this is an oddball. His name is James B.W. Beavis, and his taste leaned toward stuffed animals, zither music, professional football, Charles Dickens, mooseheads, carnivals, dogs, children, and young ladies. Mr. Beavis is accident prone, a little vague, a little discombobulated, with a life that possesses all the security of a floating crap game. This can be said of our Mr. Beavis. Without him, without his warmth, without his kindness, the world would be a considerably poorer place, albeit perhaps a little saner. All being a little discombobulated. <laughs> so, so they, yeah, there's a an opening scene where he's going to work. He dresses flamboyantly and drives a 1924 Rittenbacher jalopy. Yeah. That blows smoke all over the place and uh, and he doesn't have a clean surface. He doesn't have a clean surface in his house either. No flat surface is available for him to set a bird gauge right. down on. <laughs> and he uh, plays baseball with the kids in the street. He pops into his office late and um, his desk looks like a uh, it's actually uh, a flea market. Like from the Adams family almost. 
Um, but yeah. actually, I, I have a, I do have a follow up to the intro here uh, before we get to him uh, showing up at work. So uh, here's this. Should it not be obvious by now, James B.W. Beavis is a fixture in his own private, optimistic, hopeful little world. A world which has long ceased being surprised by him. Here he is. He's in his Rickenbacker. And he calls the kids over to give them a push start. James B.W. Beavis, on whom Dame Fortune will shortly turn her back. But not before she gives him a paste in the mouth. Mr. James B.W. Beavis, just one block away from the Twilight Zone. Love that music. <laughs> Pennyless old sounding <laughs> carnival music, whatever. Uh, but yeah, so, so the kids get him a running start. Uh, uh, to get to the job and his, uh, what was it, a 1923 Rickenbacker or something like that? 24 Rickenbacker, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I, I had no idea there was a car called a Rickenbacker. I knew that uh, Rickenbacker, I don't know if it's the same company, made guitars, um, uh, but uh, I had no idea there was a car called a Rickenbacker until I saw this. But yeah, so uh, like you said, Joey, he shows up late to work. Um, uh, but before he even gets into work, it, the, the boss comes out and looks at his desk, which is a menagerie of like, uh, taxidermy and kitsch and, you know, whatever else. A horribly awful clock. <laughs> yeah. A horribly racist. Clock. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Yeah. <laughs> I put a picture of it in that chat. That didn't age well. And its eyes moved with the seconds. It was awful. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Um, he tells... Uh, the, the boss comes out and tells the other employees to have him see him as soon as he gets there. Which he always comes in late. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there he is late. And uh, he gets fired. <laughs> And and by the way, yeah, they uh, one of the other employees offers to help clean his desk, and they bring in the most impractical cardboard box for him to put his stuff in, because it's like the box is like three feet tall, <laughs> and you know it, it's like uh, okay, the, the, are those what cardboard boxes look like in 1960? Yeah, well, he needed the three foot tall with all the junk he had on his desk. So he walks out mm -hmm. and um, walks out of the office and um, while he's walking out, somebody's trying to back out of a parking spot, look, locks bumpers with his 1924 Rickerbacker and pulls it halfway into the street and then lets it starts, lets it go and it goes running on its own into the traffic and gets turned over. Crash. <laughs> So and, now he lost his job, and he doesn't have a car. And the cop is a familiar face, too, because uh, I, I forget that actor's name, but we just talked about him. Um, we've talked about him a, a few times yeah. on the show. He was William the, Shallot. 
Yeah, William Shallot, uh, who we talked about, who was in uh, The Incredible Shrinking Man. And uh, Star Trek. Yes. And best known for... Best known for his role uh, in The Patty Duke Show. Mm. That's right. That's right. So... Uh, but yeah, so, uh, um, so his day continues to get worse. He lost his job. His car is wrecked. And then he takes his so, awkward box full of junk back to his apartment. Right. Which he finds out he's been evicted. Yeah. Cause he's in arrears. <laughs> Six weeks. So, right. So, um, you know, he, he, uh, Wanders into a, a bar, and um, he meets. Uh, well, this is like a little throwback to. Uh, it's a wonderful life. <laughs> yeah, he meets yeah, an angel. Yeah, it's this. This is kind of like a hybrid of "It's a Wonderful Life" and Groundhog Day, almost. You know. Um. But yeah, so uh, he goes in the bar, he drowns his sorrows, and he looks in the mirror, uh, you know, and uh, you know, behind the bar, and there's a guy waving him over, and then he looks behind him, and does he see that guy? <laughs> no, uh, the booth is empty, so he looks again and. He sees the guy beckoning him over and keeps turning over and the booth is empty. So um, he decides to go over to the booth and uh, check it out, see what the hell he's... And the guy does appear. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's, it's his angel. It, his name is Jay Harding Hempstead, guardian angel. And uh, here yes. is... Uh, Here's his introduction. Well, Mr. Beavis, we meet at last, eh? That's very nice, and, and who might you be? Whom? Objective case. Whom? <laughs> the name, for purposes of identification, is J. Hardy Hempstead. I'm your guardian angel. Boom. And um, uh, he, uh, uh, just to uh, save a, a moment of time, uh, Jay Harding Hempstead begins to explain why he has a guardian angel, because apparently he had some brave members of his family, and uh, so he's become indentured as a guardian angel to uh, the lineage of the Beavis clan, so here... Here's that. Mr. Beavis, here's the way the uh, cookie crumbles. Several hundred years ago, one of your ancestors performed an act of great courage. Now, part of his reward was to have a guardian angel assigned to one of his descendants in each generation. Current subject, James B.W. Beavis. That's you. Mr. Beavis, in the past few generations, I've handled some extremely solid citizens among your presenters. For instance... Magellan Beavis, an intrepid explorer of the 16th century. Parnell Beavis, a member of the British Parliament who fought for home rule against insurmountable odds. And more recently, Gunner Lou Beavis, the first Marine to hit the beach at Nicaragua. That's Uncle Louie. 
Uh, I tell you what, look, 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 I'll, I'll close my eyes real tight, and then you disappear, and then go away and hunt somebody else. Mr. Beavis, I am not a figment of your imagination. As of now, you are being watched over by the same guardian angel, J. Hardy Hempstead, your obedient servant. Watched over? Watched over. Assisted by minor miracles from time to time, given small heavenly aids when the situation calls for them. Yeah, and then a chandelier almost falls on his head and he makes it go right back up. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, all right, Joe, so, uh, go ahead and take it from here. So he gives him a chance to have the day over again and, um, and you know, not lose his job or his apartment or his car, but uh, he has to make some changes. He can't be this goofy guy with the flamboyant coats. He has to have a nice suit, and he has to clear up his desk, and he has to... So he's this guy, this new guy, and, you know, the kids don't want to play with him in the street. And he's not the likable little guy from the neighborhood anymore. But he's a productive worker, and everybody loves him, and he gets a... He goes to work. He gets a raise instead of getting fired. Yeah. And, uh, he has a Austin Healey to drive and sports car instead of a 1924 Rittenbacher. And so his whole nice life has changed. But he's not. That was a very nice sports car. Uh, um, yes. But I still I like so, the Rickenbacker too. So both of them were uh, it, it it would. Both of those cars are probably complete death traps by today's car standards. So <laughs> probably, but the Rittenbacher would be worth a ton of money if it was in shape. No, both but, of them. Yeah. Um, as would be the Austin Healing. Um, so, uh, but he's not happy with this life because it's not him. Mm -hmm. So he just asked the angel to put him back. And I got a clip for that. Mr. Hampstead, I don't like to appear ungracious, but oh, the things I like, the things I believe in, I know they're odd, but they are worth considerably more than $10 a week. So I'm to take it that you prefer the bow tie and old ironsides, hmm? I'm afraid that seems to be the case. Now you realize it's going to be exactly the way it was, no job, no car, no place to live at the moment? Well, it's been that way before. It's uh, complicated, is it? <laughs> Hardly. Ding! He's back to the way he was. He's in his bow tie and his... Is that a seersucker jacket? Or a, or is that... Not seersucker. That's um, houndstooth, maybe? Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it, nothing matched. Yeah, yeah. But he's happy. He's happy. Yeah. He's got his backer back, and um, oh, and it's... even better than that, though, is I think that if by the end, I think the the um, you know the well the you know the guardian angels like just so you know your car is going to be gone. You're still not going to have a house. This is going on, but I think that the um, the guardian angel, even though he said you know look, I don't really, I'm not really fond of you. I I preferred your ancestors um and whatnot uh but i think he after his his confession to the guardian angel he uh the the, the guardian angel had a newfound kind of respect for him maybe because he, he he truly believed in 
in um, his values and whatnot. And he also, they uh, early on in the episode, he was showing one of his coworkers uh, uh, a picture of him from serving in World War II as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So. So, uh, the show ends with him leaving the bar and his Rittenbacher is at least restored. It's not wrecked. Parked mm-hmm. out front. In front of a fire. <clears throat> so he goes <laughs> firefighter hider where he's getting a ticket. And um, all of a sudden the fire hydrant disappears and is actually in front of the cop's motorcycle. Yeah, and the cops being a real hard ass uh, saying, we don't take kindly to people parking in front of fire hydrants in this town. And then, ding, the fire hydrants moved right next to the cop's bike. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa? (laughs) So the ticket doesn't get written and he drives away in his Rickenbacker and uh, he's happy as a lark. Leaves the cop in a cloud of exhaust. And, uh, right. And then we have uh, Rod Serling for the the wrap-up. Mr. James B.W. Beavis, who believes in a magic all his own. The magic of a child's smile. The magic of liking and being liked. The strange and wondrous mysticism that is a simple act of living. Mr. James B.W. Beavis, species of 20th century male, who has his own private and special Twilight Zone. See, that's nice because, uh, you know, that's like one of the only outros from the Twilight Zone I've heard where he's like, he has his own special and private Twilight Zone. So it's like not all awful. It's not, you know, purgatory or hell or, you know. Um, So so I I thought that was a a fun and clever episode. Um, And, uh, you know, I know I'd seen it in the past, but... It, it meant a little bit more to me now, uh, watching it again, because, you know, I'm a weird guy like him. I, I've got lots of crazy stuff around my house, and I don't want to give that up and be a normal, you know, straight-laced, you know, uh, you know, boring guy. Same here. I like all my goofy stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... Uh, but yeah, this was a, this was a really, really good episode. Um, and, uh, you know, it it gave me the feels, but not too much. So, uh, Miles, did you get to check out this entire episode? Yeah. Yeah. I watched it. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the, uh, uh, movie Heaven Can Wait, where, um, guy dies by accident kind of thing, suffers a misfortune and a guardian angel shoves him. In the body of somebody else, and then, but eventually, yeah, it goes back to what the way things are were. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Joe, you get the last word on this episode of the Twilight Zone. Uh, I think this was a uh, after the last few episodes we did of uh, Twilight Zone. This one definitely has uh, raised the bar for uh, uh, you know our, our future installments. So this was a real top notch episode, I believe. Yeah, I like Orson Bean. I always liked him back in the '60s and '70s. So, you know, he was a a nice nice guy, funny guy. Like I said, he was blackballed. So that's awful. Uh, yeah. But uh, Ed Sullivan eventually rebooked him. 
the all was well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and he did some pretty legendary stuff. I mean, the first voice of Bilbo Baggins is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, that, that's quite an accomplishment there for, you know, all us nerds, um, uh, you know, fantasy, sci-fi, comic book, uh, geeks and stuff. Um, but yeah, no, very good. So, um, yeah, but no, thank you, Joe. That was masterfully uh, reviewed. (laughs) Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. Anybody have any, uh, last thoughts, uh, before we end the show? I do. I do, but I'd like to give it to Joe. Don't we have a very special birthday that needs to be mentioned? Oh, yeah, it's uh, Bob's birthday tomorrow, Bob Weatherwax. It's, today's his birthday, actually. He oh. turned 80. So, um, yeah, we have uh, a lot of cards from all over the world. Uh, yeah, and uh, we're going to have a big party tomorrow. That's right. You have been very busy preparing for the party, so... We have been. I uh, I'd love to see some pictures uh, if it's possible, and uh, we got to do some. Uh, I don't know. I think next next week we need to have um, some lassie spotlights for Bob. That'd be way cool. That. Yeah, we could really mix it up. Yeah. So, but we shall. I, talk- uh... Yeah, I, I I did a quick search on uh, car horn laws on Ohio, and it turns out that every time you pass another vehicle, you're required to honk your horn. Oh, give me a break, man! How much are you gonna do that today? Uh, a weird law. Well, he was in a, in a, parked on the lawn, but anyway, oh yeah, that's beside oh, yeah. the point. Joe, yeah, next next Friday. Let's uh, let's do it since you you'll obviously have more time when you're not planning a, a huge party. We'll uh, we'll do the uh, you know we'll do a, a good hour on Lassie next week. Okay. And yeah, Bob Wells, yeah, you know. Well, it goes way beyond Lassie. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, all of his animal training experience and, and everything. Yeah, it, it'll be, uh, and his great stories. So, uh, plan on that for next week, everybody. And, uh, yeah, but that's all I got. Anybody else? I'm good. All right. I'm good. All right. Everybody have a wonderful weekend and thank you for joining us for episode 10 of it came from Cleveland. See you later. Every town has an Elm Street. Ha <laughs> ha!